This is my favorite. This is, I say it every week, but there's never a bad time for this song. Yeah. Something about this type of music has yet to be duplicated. I know. Do you know what I mean? I don't know what it yeah. is about this soul or it was during that time, but it's never been, I wonder why it's never been duplicated. I know, you know, you're absolutely right. Because I wonder what my kids would think. I have a 20-year-old and a 21-year-old, and they listen to all kinds of music. I have this theory that, um, I, 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 well, let me start from the beginning. I'm never surprised when my kids love music that I loved. Yeah. Because when you think about it, a woman is born with all of her eggs. I mean, a baby, baby, infant, baby girl has had her eggs for a long time inside her own mother's womb. And then she's born with these eggs, and then they, of course, mature when she gets older, and, you know, this egg might become a kid, or this egg might become a kid. But those eggs are inside of her vibrating all the time throughout her life. And it's vibrating to music. So when one of those eggs turns out to be your kid later on, and they like the same music, I always say to my boys, it's because you were vibrating in <laughs> during the disco era. Is that <laughs> true with the eggs? That's, oh, yeah, 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 totally. No, no, no. Oh, my gosh. In utero, a, a, a female child has all of the eggs she's ever going to have in her life. I and had no idea that was true. Stick with me, baby. I know. You, you get seem science. To... You, get... Everything. Yeah, you get everything. Uh, by the way, the very beautiful and talented Mary Lou, Re... Mary Lou Henner is yeah, here, everybody. Mary Lou Renner. Renner. No, I was not on I a uh, I almost said, cereal I said, box. I said Mary Lou Renner, and I was like, oh. that's not right. Mary Lou Henner is here, everybody. Hi. Um, hi. Listen, first of all, I was on your radio show earlier. Yes, today. how fun. A lot of fun. I, I co-host, not just on my show, co-hosting with me. It was pretty amazing. Pretty great. I have been looking forward to this. Aww. Because I have, first of all, I uh, uh, your body of work is amazing. I, I, I every time I looked at it, I looked at it again today. I was like, "That's like longer than my arm." <laughs> it really is. I, I want to just start really quick, okay, with the question that most people ask online, and then we'll ease into everything else. Okay. Do you have a favorite thing you've done? Um, besides having my children, my yeah. two boys. Um, hmm. I love writing books. I love the radio. Oh, my gosh. Right? I keep saying, you know what I keep saying about it? I love to do a lot of things, cause, and this is how I describe doing the radio. Um, I say it's, the, it's everything I love to do all rolled into one because it's got the, uh, it has the immediacy of a live performance. It has the personal storytelling of a movie. Yeah. It has the global reach of a long-running uh, sitcom. It has the, uh, the, the personal expression of writing a book, and it has a Broadway opening night. Every single day, <laughs> every day, it's like all the time, and nothing is wasted. And so I think because you know I I like to take in a lot of information. It's like the next day I can talk about it. You know, so it's so I love the immediacy of it. Has your brain right. the, the two times that I've met you now, mm -hmm. your brain seems to be, uh, and the best word I can put for it is alive. I mean, so alive. Has it always been like that? Have you always just gathered information? Well, my my. Parents called me Perpetual Motion. Uh -huh. That's actually the name of my production company. And also Henergy. You know, it's like, oh, this one's got a lot of energy. <laughs> and, you know, my mom used to say, run around the block a couple of times. Burn off some of that energy, you know. And so um, I always had a lot of energy. And I think uh, because of the kind of memory I have, I was always taking in information and processing it in some way and then using it whenever I could. Now, that that memory uh -huh. that you referenced, that you, so you could, if I picked out a day in your past, you can remember what happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, some days, of course, take longer than others. Right. But, but, you know, pretty much I could tell you what day of the week it was and what I was doing on that day. And is it, 
is 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 that is your memory that specific? Because that's the thing that I kept reading online that that specific fact. Yeah. But but what else does your memory, your amazing memory, encompass? Like you can. Well, if it crossed my reality, or if I, you know, did something, you know, if it's like something that you know I took in that day, you know. So you retain a, everything. Yeah, I retain everything. Uh, see, I really do believe that everybody does that it's all there on your emotional hard drive whether or not you know how to access it but the people who have HSAM highly superior autobiographical memory I really do believe that we just happen to have an extraordinary retrieval system but everything that you've been through and they're proving this more and more with people is in there and that's why you might get a massage and go oh my god why what made me think of this or a piece of music or a smell of something or it's all in there I have a terrible memory. Well, everybody says that. Well, I wish no. I wish I remembered things from childhood, but I also believe that sometimes you make memories. Does that make sense? Like my brothers and I can have all done this before. There's four of us. We've been in the same place from right. 20 years ago, and we all have a different memory. It's like Rashomon. Yeah, you all have different pr perspectives and points right. of view. Now, let me ask you something. If you think about being with me today on my show, yes, and you think about it, are you in first person or third person when you think back on the memory? Are you sitting there with me looking out from your eyes? Yes. Okay. Now, if I talk to you about, let's say, Christmas, which was a month ago, yep. and you really think about, oh, what did I do Christmas morning and stuff like that, are you in first person or third person? I'm always seeing out of my own eyes. Oh, you are? I never That's see That's very rare except for people who have HSAM. Really? Yeah. Most people... They will think about the um, their immediate day as first person, but m most people will switch to third person, mm. almost like Scrooge looking, you know, like you're watching yourself rather than you're in your body looking out from your eyes. Oh, no, I'm always looking out. Yeah. Well, maybe that's because, I mean, anyone who knows me knows, I hate my voice. I hate the way yeah. I, I hate the way I look. I've never seen an episode of anything I've done because I look really? at myself and I'm like, oh, Well, don't you no. feel like that's how you want... Well, what's Mr. Ego? What do you mean? You can't... I just don't like it. For when I hear my voice, I'm like, oh, boy. And I have to, as a comic, I do have to listen to my own yeah, sets. Yeah, you do. But it's painful. Okay, well, I, get I, over that. I, <laughs> I, oh my I, gosh. Did, I did... Now, for when I had my talk show, I watched because I was like, I want to make sure I don't have a crazy tick. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Like I'm not no, doing and you something. get better. Yeah. You get better. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many like episodes of Taxi or some things I've got. I was like, who talked me into that color? I'm never wearing that color again because you have to see yourself. You know, I see. I think people should take a lot of pictures so that if you, you know, because if you take one or two, you'll be like, oh my god, is that what I look like? Right. And I, I think people should weigh themselves a lot too, so they don't get freaked out by a weight on the scale. You know what I'm saying? If you weigh yourself a lot, then you understand the fluctuations. Oh, maybe too much salt. Maybe I had sushi last night. Maybe I didn't have enough water. Maybe I had too much. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. I always, and you know, I, uh, you also are big about nutrition and fitness, yeah. and I am too. But I, I'm almost the opposite with you with the scale because I, and I tell people that I that get, you know, fixated on a number. Yeah, I always tell them, look, as you get older. Sometimes you're just going to get a little heavier. I always say, how do your clothes fit? Do yeah. your clothes fit you the way you... Yeah, but that doesn't always work. I went I went and worked my summer between high school and college. Mm -hmm. I went to a resort to work, wore a waitress uniform, thought mm, slightly snug, came home 25 pounds heavier in seven weeks. So 20... once you do that, 25 pounds in seven <laughs> weeks, I worked like a cow and, you know, worked like a horse and ate like one. I mean, I put on a lot of weight one summer. I was also eating my feelings because my father had just passed away a few months before. And, you know, when you when you don't deal with something, especially, you know, just the, the emotional ramifications of losing, like, the main parent. I mean, I thought I maybe was dealing with it, but I realized I wasn't. Well, 
both your parents died right. kind of young. Very young. Very my young. father was 52. My mom was 58. Do you think so, that pushed you into nutrition? Oh, no question about it. Oh, my God. No, what happened was my father died. I you know, ate my feelings, ballooned up to a really high weight, felt like, oh, my God, this isn't me. I, I can't believe I am like got all this extra weight on me. And then would stupidly yo-yo diet up and down and up and down, go on like the dumbest diets imaginable. And then when my mother took ill with arthritis, I mean, she was literally teaching dancing in December, went to bed with the flu in January. It was a brutal Chicago winter, so she went into the hospital mm-hmm. in February. She had her leg amputated in April, and she oh. died in May. And while she was in the hospital... How old were you? Uh, when my mother... Uh, 25. <sighs> and so when... My mom, when I saw my mother in the hospital with 13 tubes hooked into her, including things that looked like a big, you know, water cooler bottle underneath her hospital bed, the color of Hawaiian punch, and it was her lungs draining out. They had drilled two holes in her head, like a half an inch deep, and they put her on something that looked like a hamster wheel to pull her head out of her neck because the upper vertebrae of her spine disintegrated, shifted out of position, made her paralyzed from the neck down. How does arthritis hit that fast? What happens was she had a slow degradation of her bones and muscles, but she was literally teaching dancing. And I think it was just the, uh, you know, the upper uh, upper vertebrae of her spine disintegrated, shifted it out of position and made her paralyzed from the neck down and then it was just a slippery slope after that that's why i was so upset when i heard about glenn fry yeah medication and stuff and so that push i i when i read about that i was like well it makes sense why you are so right no and so how long after that did you jump into nutrition and all that other stuff well i was like up and down in my weight and had some like not great habits uh but i got taxi a few weeks after she died and just said, I have to find, I have to change my normal. I have to do something completely different than I've been doing. And so I ended up uh, reading, you know, over like 200 books on the subject of health and nutrition. Mm-hmm. And I went to the Bodhi tree and medical libraries and nutritionists. Uh, and I took human anatomy classes at UCLA. And I experimented on myself for about eight years. And I put together a program that worked for me. And then, you know, I've been living it ever since. That's amazing. You know, and that's always been my theory on nutrition and exercise is finding what works, works for, you. for you. Yeah. Because some people are like, well, this is how, and this is how everybody should eat and exercise. Yeah. And I just don't believe that to yeah. be true. Well, you got to, you got to move every yeah. day. You got to do something. I mean, when you think about it, your cat stretches, your dog, you walk your dog, your hamster gets a wheel, yeah. you know, fish move around and stuff. Every, every, you know, and we're animals. So you got to have some kind of movement. And then there are certain things about our teeth and our intestines and stuff like that. Um, but what, what do you mean teeth? Foods. You mentioned that to me earlier today, yeah. too, that we chew a certain way. We chew a certain way. We're not carnivores you know we don't have like all like the you know we don't have all those sharp teeth well don't get me started on the protein myth in this country i think it's ridiculous (laughs) that everybody's so protein 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 and then it's not even sustainable for this planet to be eating as many animals as we are and i don't like i don't eat animals anyway when's the last time you had a piece of meat uh april uh, august the 2nd it was uh thursday august 2nd 1979 and what'd you have you know uh yeah i had some roast beef like deli roast beef and i ate it and i was like Oh my God, this is making me sick. Because I had, well, what, what happened was I decided, when I decided to get healthy, I thought, okay, everybody is either a turkey or a wiener. You go cold turkey or you <laughs> wean yourself off. So I was a cold turkey kind of person. And I thought, okay, I could do anything. I can go three weeks without something, then I'll try it again. And if it's good, if, if it like doesn't affect me in a negative way, then I'll go back to it. So my first thing that I gave up was tab. I was drinking one to two tab. gallons a day. One to two gallons of tab. No, gallons? Yeah. Oh, gallons. I mean, like, that shit I would is buy terrible horrible, 
Horrible. And I was addicted to it. I just like pop open another one and drink it, drink it, drink it. I think it. they put something in that that makes it What's more the addictive. Chemicals? Yeah, 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 of course. And so I gave it up for three weeks and I thought, oh, I can't wait to have my first tab. And I popped one open and my tongue was on fire. I felt horrible. And I went I'm, and I never had another diet soda again. Not I, a soda. That happened. with. Uh, no, I don't drink soda at all either. But that happened to me. I used to drink Diet Coke all the time. Yeah. Right. Diet Coke. And then I started. I, I ended up going to my uh, a doctor and being like, I really think I'm having heart problems. Yeah. And he said, give me your diet and it's write it down. It's the aspartame. Phosphorus, yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, he was yeah, like yeah, that aspartame. He said, how much are you drinking? And I told him, and he goes, that aspartame is going to kill you. He yeah. said, he told me, and then somebody at, that my, at my son's um, uh, um, elementary school was diagnosed with lupus. Yeah. It wasn't lupus. It was aspartame. And yeah. she was drinking the Diet Cokes to keep her awake. I know. It's and terrible. And she was poisoning herself every day. Of course. I mean, the one thing that we do every single day is we eat. You know, yeah. thank God. It's not like, oh, yeah, it's Thursday. I get to eat today. I mean, every day we get to eat. And it's so, you know, it's so powerful. Because I always say, like, everybody wants a pill to cure this and cure that. But can you imagine the power in a plate of food? I yeah. mean, and every day it's like your body's working on it. So to get back to what you were saying, I, I think that there are certain things that we're not supposed to be eating. I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. Nobody can tell me that aspartame is like good for you no terrible you know it's terrible um so you know and then there's tweaking from there you know i find that like uh for me you know when people ask me about how do i keep semi-fit or right for me a lot of it has to do with happiness yeah oh yeah because you know, when you think about it the gusto in your body is yes. gonna like metabolize everything that you're doing a lot differently. of it has, and also when people go i don't like the word diet and yeah. I always tell people, I go, diet means that almost is a bad connotation. Yeah. It's lifestyle. It's temporary, yeah. What it's lifestyle can you honestly keep up? Because Me? My, oh, well, yeah. We mean everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I always tell people, when you start and stop and start and stop, it's not just bad for you physically. Mentally, every time you stop, you're quitting. Yeah. And your subconscious tells you you're a quitter. You feel bad about yourself. Well, I mean, that, that, you know, yes and no. But also, it's not even good for your body to right. keep going up and down and up and down and try different things. And, you know, so many actresses and so many people go up and down. And it's like then they don't really deal with the psychological ramifications of what it is they're doing or, or psychological sources of what they're doing. But it's like the food, you know, food is powerful. It's like really... God, and delicious. And delicious. Oh, yeah. I don't trust people who don't like to eat. <laughs> I love to eat. Did you ever have any kind of, when you say you were a cold turkey, did, were you ever a drinker or a drugger? No, never a drugger. Never a drugger. I mean, I do like a glass of sake and, you know. Yeah. I actually, the, the two things that I drink, I will drink sake and I'll drink tequila because they're much pure. I cannot drink wine, champagne. It just goes to my head and it makes me feel bad the next day. But I was never a big drinker. Neither anything. one. No. Interesting. In your, when we're in taxi, mm -hmm. before we get into, but how do you feel like your, I forgot to ask this, uh -oh. how do you feel like the death of your mom, did that, do you think that changed the way you acted that first season? How did you think that affected you? Oh, yeah, you know what? Did when my father died, the thing he would have most wanted for me was a really good education and to, you know, go to college. Right. And after he died, I not only got, I was a senior in high school, but I got four scholarships to go to the University of Chicago. I mean, I got four scholarships. I could go anywhere I wanted, right. but I chose the University of Chicago because I wanted to stay home. Um, but I lived down at school, but I still stayed in Chicago. And um, that that was important to him, and I always felt like, you know, he arranged it. Yeah. And then after, I, after my mother died, within a month, I got taxi. Three weeks later after she died, I got taxi. And so I always felt like she arranged because she would have liked nothing better than for me to be an actress. Did that, because that's still fresh, 
do you think that affected how you played your person? Well, that? my char- the character of Elaine, originally they wanted somebody who was 35 and an Italian New Yorker with a 16-year-old daughter. and But the casting director liked me, and so he kept bringing me in. And um, so what happened was... Uh, they kept, you know, they kept saying, well, she's awfully young and all this because I was auditioning with all these other actors. But there was something they just thought, OK, we're going to give her the job. It's, that's another whole long, long, long story of what happened there. And I was really basing it on my sister, who was a single mom with two kids. Mm-hmm. And instead of having a 16 year old daughter, they gave me two little kids, an eight and nine year old, like a boy and a girl. So that's what happened there. And when you go in and and they're casting older people and mm-hmm. you walk in to that audition. Yeah. Does that, okay, because you have to think, oh, I either got it or I yeah, don't. Yeah, totally. But you, you you have to feel that way anyway. You're either going to be somebody's flavor, or you're going to be like what they had in mind, or they're going to change it for you. I mean, the original text. Did you know any of the cast before? Uh, I had seen Andy Kaufman perform. Oh, my gosh. Live? In New York. Yes. Can in you, New York. Can you tell me what that was yes. like? Yes. Okay. Okay. So. This is amazing. Oh, my gosh. So we I walk in. I'm doing where are we? Grease where, on Broadway where, right now in New York. Where and Where is he performing? It's where? at the Improv. Okay. So we're at the improv, and all of a sudden, this guy gets up, and he starts, it's like a foreign man, and he starts reading from The Great Gatsby, okay? So with this little foreign accent, reading from The Great Gatsby. You had you know? no idea who he was? No, not at all. Okay. Now, this was a year before Taxi. Okay. So he starts reading, and you know everybody's laughing. It's like, <laughs> by the time he got to the second chapter, people are like pelting, throwing dinner rolls and straws. Get off the stage! Come I mean, on! They threw everything but glasses <laughs> at him. He was, and I was like to my boyfriend at the time. I was like, no, stop! And it was like, but I felt like oh, get this guy off the stage. It was pathetic. And he was kept going on reading The Great Gatsby. And like, oh, okay. And all of a sudden, it's it. The crowd just gets so hostile and crazy that he breaks down and cries. And you're like, oh. Oh my God. And here's this guy up there sobbing. And he thought, oh no, this is, I was like, stop. Yeah. You know, see what you did, you know, that kind of thing. And then he's crying and crying. And he turns up stage and you think, what's he going to, you know, he's going to leave. He turns up stage and in a flash, he pulls from the side of his pants and, and uh, like tape that's on the side of his pants. And you see like studs or shine. He turns around and does an Elvis thing and uh, with his hair and then turns around to the audience. And does the greatest Elvis you have ever seen that in your life. That is amazing. People were standing on chairs. People were standing on tables. It was so not what you expected. And you could not believe that, that it was the same person. Do you know, I'll tell you what's, what's amazing about that to me as a performer. Mm-hmm. He knows he's digging himself a oh, ditch. Oh, totally. Oh, he, my God. He knows he's digging the ditch. To, and he also knows how he's going to get himself out of it. Yeah. But, but he doesn't care. Andy did not care. Uh, Andy, truly, you don't think he cared? To- Andy was like... One of the most fun people. He was like a sweet Jewish boy from Great Neck, you know, Long Island. So nice, wide-eyed, talk to you, blah, blah, blah. And then would do some outrageous, crazy thing that you could not believe it was the same person. See, I think I love Jim Carrey. I thought he got the crazy, but he didn't get the humanity and the sweetness of Andy in uh, Man on the Moon. Not at all. Are you so off off camera, Uh not... You know, off camera, uh, he was portrayed in the movie still to be kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, he was not. I mean, he he definitely had, uh, he came in Tuesdays at 4.30 uh, for the uh, run through. Mm-hmm. Well, he'd come actually at lunch and just to come after lunch on Tuesdays. 
and uh, he would like rehearse with us. And then, I mean, there, he had no lines to remember, really. Yeah, just he, noises. He made up a language. <laughs> he, I always say he made up a country I wanted to visit. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and then what he'd do is, then he'd come on Fridays. So for the whole day Friday for camera blocking and stuff like that. What's amazing to me is that that show really was groundbreaking in that between him uh, and Reverend Jim mm-hmm. and uh, Louis De Palma, so Danny right. DeVito, um, the, you never saw characters like that. No, before. never, because they were like your odd relatives or something. Yeah, you know, and guys who looked like that and were just so oddball instead of like the usual, you know, typical actor types. Was there because there? Listen, that entire cast is incredibly talented, and the 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 people who are still with us are all still working. Yeah, everybody's still working. Everybody's so great. I was telling you on the show today that there was this huge event oh, last yeah, night. Oh, yeah, for Jim Burroughs. Oh, my God. Well, Jimmy Burroughs, who's the most famous sitcom director ever, yep. he uh, directed most of the taxis, especially the first four years, and then he moved on to Cheers because that was his his show. He was one of the producers Not of terrible that. to go from Taxi to Cheers. No. That's no. a pretty good... We're and doing all right. a bigger piece. Um, and so what happened was, uh, last night, because recently he has uh, directed his 1,000th episode, they had yesterday like the coolest the coolest night, and it was the cast of Taxi, Cheers, uh, uh, Friends, Will and Grace, Will and Grace uh, uh, Two and a Half Men were there, Big Bang Theory, because he did their pilot, Mike and Molly, um, wings that is and a, everybody got up there and like in groups and what we a were crazy list it's crazy it was Be, great because those shows made stars mm-hmm. tv stars and movie stars those yeah. sh- was tony shalhoub there no tony shalhoub but he was in a uh what you call it he was in a tape thing so the people who weren't there and the cast of friends there was five out of six five out of six because matthew perry's doing a, a show in the west end in london that's crazy star power yeah it was great. The Rembrandts played. I mean, it was really cool. Really you know, what's, cool. what's what's funny is that, you know, sitcom directors in general, are, uh, outside of him, are mm-hmm. just seen as wranglers. Kind right. Of, well, you know? but it's very different. I mean, he, he you know. He, he is, for he sure. He is. Oh, yeah, for sure. There are a few other good ones. but Yeah, but, but it's it's like, like the director in TV and the director in movie mm-hmm. have it's completely different, different power. Yeah, and, it's and, a writer's medium. You know, yes. And, yeah. and it's studio. Yeah. And, you know, I worked on a show where one of the actors was given carte blanche because uh, it was terrible. Uh-oh. He used to walk into the writer's room. And just blow up an entire script. What you not allowed to say? I probably shouldn't. Okay, I, should prob- I could probably guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was, am- it was amazing. He would blow up scripts. He would put it down. And he would say, because, you know, he considered himself to be a manly man. Right. He was like, oh. yeah, man. My guy, he's not, nah. This was his favorite line. My friend, my guy doesn't do bitch shit like that. And oh. I was like, okay. okay. You want to be even more likable? Was he a stand-up guy? No. No, he wasn't from stand-up. No, he wasn't from stand-up. We, okay. we have a lot. We're, by nature, self-deprecating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. He was not. That's become your routine in a way. Because you're not going to get up. I mean, I think stand-up is so hard because you have to have a comedy persona. And it's usually better be personal enough for you to be able to talk about it in an authentic way and if you're just doing somebody's jokes and jokes that somebody else could do right. you're not going to have that kind of comedy magic it's one of the amazing things why i'm so fascinated with andy kaufman and what he did because mm-hmm. there was no personal connection yeah right He's a, a provocateur totally i mean i'll tell you a fast andy story that i like to tell people do you think he was doing more to get a re not a laugh but a reaction oh yeah 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 
Uh, he would he would like to see how far he could push things. But he was like a really sweet guy who was a song and dance man. He considered himself a song and dance man. And I think his happiest episode was when he got to play one of the Andrews sisters because he was really <laughs> I had worked with the Andrews sisters on Broadway. And so he wanted to know all my stories about them because I did a show very early in my career with John Travolta and Treat Williams and Anne Reinking on Broadway with the Andrews sisters. They were older then. That's but, amazing. Yeah, it was so cool. Was I didn't know Treat Williams was a song and dance guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. He's fantastic. He played Danny Zuko on Broadway. Which is my dream him. role. Not only did he play Danny Zuko on Broadway, he played Danny Zuko, because I was in the company with him, but I play Marty mm -hmm. in, the, in the show. Uh, but one day we all said, well... We're going to go do a performance because we do these benefit performances at different places. And we all said, let's all switch parts. So da he stayed with Danny. But I said, I want to play Sandy. So I did get to do one performance of Sandy. You'll never believe where. Rikers Island. Come on. Okay. We went to Rikers Island. Within the first 10 minutes, we knew it was like a mistake. They went crazy for the girls, and they went, "Girls, you're not wearing pajamas yeah. at the pajama party." It was like enough. Were you? But were you behind something? Fence? No. Just no oh no no no. They no. They were in an, uh, like in. They were kind of chained. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> chained to their seats. <laughs> no. That is no. amazing. Isn't that crazy. Yeah. What What is your take on? Because you have worked steady for yeah forever yeah yeah many years yeah what is your take on do you feel like it's with social media and everything and the way TV and movies are set up now do you think it's easier to be a star now or harder I think it's 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 easier in a lot of ways but it's a shorter shelf life unless you really can hang in there and have talent. I think that people burn through people so quickly and you're seeing a lot of, you know, reality stars and people who become these media sensations because they have a cute YouTube video or right. something like that. But to have any kind of staying power, you know, it's almost like the the rate of attrition is so different than it was, you know, in the old days. And so what would happen is, you know, people would either burn out because they didn't get something and they didn't want to or nowadays they get something like right away and then they burn out quickly because they just can't sustain it i i i what i miss the most is that well here it's a it's a, a double-edged sword i guess i love the accessibility that we all kind of and these kind of things the openness oh, and yeah, the honesty, right? honesty but i also loved like take jack nicholson for example mm -hmm. he doesn't do a lot of interviews because he's yeah. a movie star right i like that mystery that was still do you know what i mean like yeah i'm not saying what movie stars Bert are better Reynolds than us from but... getting a nomination probably for deliverance is he did the cosmo you know uh you think community. so oh he talks about it quite often and they th he thinks that that's what hurt the whole you know group of them yeah because all of a sudden it didn't have the same kind of credibility so you like the mystery but I don't know. I think people were hiding a lot more then, and now you can't hide. For sure. They yeah. definitely Look, as a stand-up, I think the openness is perfect. Yeah. But like a movie star, TV star, they're used, they, they're, they were elevated a little more. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Have you met somebody in the television or movie industry that you felt like, oh, they have the same feet of clay everybody else does, that you were kind of disappointed? No. I guess not. I mean, I want everybody that I meet I look I want to look at the person I like on TV and like them off screen right I've right. been disappointed before yeah. you know working on Chelsea having people come through mm -hmm. and uh, okay I you know sometimes you had to produce segments and there was one actor who came on the show and I went down there and um, he could not have been a bigger asshole really yeah. was he just having a bad day or it was just 
You know, we've all had bad days. Yeah. But there's sure. certain ways you treat people. Like, you can tell if I'm in a bad mood, but I'm not a... You can tell maybe I'm a little shorter, but right. I'm not an asshole to you. I right. don't treat you like you're less than me. Right. And, and this th- guy... Yeah, but you know what? That's a bully with a secret. That means somebody is you know, hiding something and they have something to prove or they don't want to be discovered. And I find I find those kinds of people uh, more like the, what I call the orbiters. It's the person around the the talent. You know, they're trying yeah. to like, oh, no, you have to, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever find has there ever been an occasion where you're like, oh, I wish I didn't have this memory? Has there never. ever been? Never. Right. Somebody oh asked God. me. Somebody was like, that must be a blessing and a oh, curse. Oh, no. Like, no, my joke is that I always say is, I always say it's only a curse for my husband. Yes. You know? But he always says, what man ever wins a, uh, an argument against his wife anyway? At least I have an excuse. Yeah, you he, he can't win. Aaron, no. do you think it would be? Do you think it would be a... a Did you a, not? Because he nodded when I said that. Oh, it's not yeah? something that you were... Uh, yeah, I've got a pretty good memory and some of the things that pop up from time to time are embarrassing. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Kind of haunts you, I think. Yeah, but the things I've said to people. But aren't you surprised that? Are you surprised that, that that people? You know, I mean, do people remember that you did those things? Oh no, no, no. I know because most yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not at all. It's yeah. just me. Well, yeah. what's the secret then? If I want to unlock all those things that I I know that I have, but I just don't have any recollection of. Okay, well, you have to exercise it a little bit, and one of the ways you do. See, this is what was like so surprising and devastating to me in a way I found out that most people only remember 8 to 11 things within a year that's the average 8 to 11 events within oh, a year like if you thought about 2015 yeah. you could probably tell me you know most people could do 8 to 11 events and mm-hmm. that or days or whatever and that seems like what you lived all that life how did you miss so many days um but I I think that if you exercise your brain and one of the ways I tell people all the time it's like just that's if, if you at night when you're brushing your teeth or you're doing whatever scroll through your day just scroll through it like you're doing the montage of your life for that day mm-hmm. and just think what was worth remembering you know let me throw put everything through a second time just doing it a second time some things are going to stick and then at the end of the month see how many you can remember and try to bring it up to eight within the month you know see if you oh, can yeah. remember five or even five things within the month will that help me with my childhood memories Sure, because it's like a, an exercise. You know, also, you know, it's it, what I was telling you today. I have two theories about memory. One of them I call your primary track, and mm-hmm. that's, uh, I always describe it this way. In the jigsaw puzzle of your life, what are the hard-edged pieces? You know, you've got this jigsaw puzzle life. What are the hard-edged pieces that you can start interlocking your other memories to? Right. So you told me that you remember your kids. Yes. You remember their lives. You From your own life, you don't. But from your kids' lives, lives, you remember so much more. So then think about like, oh, okay, so when I was my kids were doing this, I was doing this, and can I remember anything from my childhood that I, that's similar to what they were going through? And, you know, you start bringing back memories and you could even kind of, I mean, it's so easy now to keep a personal diary yeah. just online, you know, I mean, just on your computer, you just put it in. But I also think that everybody not only has a primary track, and that could be anything from travel or sports or food or clothes or hairdos or relationships. Um, but they also have a dominant sense. Everyone is a sight, sound, touch, taste, or smell person. Yes. And you figure out what your dominant sense is and your primary track. And then you'll figure out how you receive, retain, and it'll help you retrieve memories. So that's what I, yeah, so, you know. That, that's interesting because I, I learned, was studying when I was in school, 
If I heard it, mm. If I saw it, mm. But if I wrote it down. Yeah. So your touch, your maybe your primary sense is touch. So you've got you have to put it through your body and put it. A lot of actors are like that. You know, writing their lines. You know, make like making a separate script and writing their lines out will put it. That's how I remember. That's like their character. Yeah, I mean, that's like their character becomes them more easily because now it's in their cursive or whatever. Yeah, that, you know, I went on that audition today and I was having a hard time memorizing it, and I just mm -hmm. remember. Then I remembered. Oh, yeah. I have to write it down. I right. just have to rewrite my lines. Mm -hmm. And when as soon as as soon as I rewrote them, yeah, I didn't even have to look at the page again. Yeah. Because they're yours. Now they became part of you. I'll tell you a really funny, fast story. All right, so my first act, my first husband was uh, the actor Frederick Forrest. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, brilliant actor from uh, Apocalypse Now. You know, he played oh, yeah. Chef yep. in Apocalypse Now. He also got an Academy Award nomination for playing Houston Dyer in The Rose opposite Bette Midler. Mm -hmm. So he got a Best Supporting Actor nomination. Okay, so Freddie is great guy, brilliant method actor. I mean... He could literally change his appearance. He could play like any character and literally would change. He wrote out his entire script in longhand, his lines. He'd write out the rest of the script in, you know, kind of a, a, a printing. Mm -hmm. And his script became this binder that became about this big because he would write, let's say he's in a movie, all the, everything that his character is doing off screen when the screen people are doing what they're doing. Wait. It's not even in the script. It's not even in the script. But he wrote out an entire life of his character. Like, let's say he meets a girl yeah. in scene one. He meets her, and then he doesn't show up again until scene 15. He w And she does all these adventures without him. Yeah. Then they reconnect. He would write everything that his character did until they reconnected. It's very Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yeah. You know, very Tom yeah. Stoppard. Okay, so he would. his script was like... Sacred. It was like this was his script, and it's usually about this big a binder. Okay, when he did the movie Tucker, he decided that his character uh, would never have experienced faster than 35 miles per hour. So he insisted that Transpo <laughs> never drive him faster than 35 miles per hour. And he did that, right? And they indulged him. It's like, okay, you're a great actor. Yeah. I'll indulge you. One day he left a script behind, and oh. he said, he left it at the, the hotel. He was on location. He left it at the hotel, and he said, my script cannot go faster than 35 no. miles per hour. And they said, no fucking way. <laughs> we are driving that script as fast as we can to get it there to My you. script can't go faster than 35. That's a method actor. That's amazing. Sometimes yeah. I think, listen, I'm a comic. Sometimes I think actors are a little screwy. Uh -huh. They get sometimes like, you know, the guys that walk around in character on set oh, all the time. Well, yeah, but sometimes, I mean, let's say you're doing an accent. I mean, Meryl yes. Streep, she never breaks that accent. And I know a lot of actors who will never. Never break, break the accent. Never. I worked with Doug Savant in a wonderful television movie called um, uh, Fight for Justice, the Nancy Kahn story, and his mm -hmm. character was from, was from the South. And I still, to this day, don't know what his voice is like. He never, <laughs> and we had nothing to do with each other because, you know, I was raped, beaten, thrown in a trunk of a car, stabbed, uh, gassed out, you know, I mean, like thrown over the side of the hill. I was four months pregnant with my son, Joey, uh -huh. at the time. So everybody was on Joey Patrol. It was funny. I last, Just last night I was talking to Perry Gilpin because she played my cousin in that, and she gets actually murdered. My, my character well, survives. Sounds like a nice family movie. We had so much fun. We had such a blast. It was, we were in <laughs> Toronto in June, 
and loved the director, Bradford May, and loved the crew, and it was beautiful, balmy nights, and it, we, we had a great time. I mean, you're just speaking to you, the, your retention and the detail and the names oh. is really amazing, isn't really? it? Are you, is it? You, are you, I mean, I it's really? amazing. Like, just the way, and I've thought this every time I've talked to you, when you tell a story, it's got so many details that you are probably thinking, oh. I, because yeah, and I'm, it's in your like Barry, Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you, we started January 5th. I mean, June 5th. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I could tell you, like, every day. Do I you could tell you every see day. it? Do you see no, I'm it there. also? I'm there. I'm in. The, I'm there looking out from my eyes. First day of rehearsal, first scene we shot, what I'm wearing, what she's, I mean, just like, like there. Now, how early did in your life did you recognize that you oh, had Oh, that, that I had an unusual memory? Yeah. Okay, well, at six years old, I used to fall asleep at night going, what did I do exactly a year ago in kindergarten? What did I do exactly when I was my little brother's age? What did, and I could just go to the date and, you know, go to the day. And everybody said to my parents, what's with that kid and her memory? Because she mm. remembers everything we did the last time we were together and what day of the week it was and this and that. And so everybody in my family called me Miss Memory and Univac and, you know, which is the old computer <laughs> yeah. and uh, the memory kid and stuff like that. So it was just, you know, something that people always knew about me. Then my circle, I knew I had the best memory in my family. Then my circle got wider and wider and wider. And the 60 Minutes thing actually came about because Leslie Stahl has been a friend of mine for a very long time. So when 60 Minutes was offered a story about a woman who came forward, uh, a woman by the name of Jill Price, who came forward to Dr. James McGaw, who is the big memory researcher mm -hmm. in uh, at UC Irvine. And they started testing her, and they'd never seen anything like it. So they offered the story to Leslie Stahl, and she called me. She said, will you come to lunch with me? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, you're in time. Oh, yeah. So I went to lunch, and we're all sitting around What'd at lunch, lunch with her producer. I had, uh, I had like, a, like a, a, a vegetable soup and <laughs> vegetable soup. No, and like a green salad. <laughs> with olive yeah. So, so anyway, so we went to lunch. And her producer, Sherry Finkelstein, was there. And we're talking, talking, talking. She said, when did we meet? I gave her the day. When did we do this? And I gave her the day. And then Sherry said something like, oh, yeah, I got married on June 15th, 1998. And I said, oh, really? Why did you get married on a Monday? She went, oh, my God, she that has it. That is crazy. So what happened was they offered, Jill Price, they offered the story to 60 Minutes and to Diane Sawyer. And Leslie Saul said, I uh, hate to burst your bubble. It's not that unusual. My friend Mary Lou Hanner has the same memory, so it's probably no big deal, blah, blah, blah. And so they turned down the story. So Jill Price was then on Primetime Live. People yeah. were going, oh, there's somebody on television with your kind of memory. And then Leslie called me a couple years later, and she said, it is unusual. We're going to put you through the testing on camera. And at that point, there were only six of us. What percentage of the population do they do you know oh, that has it's, it? It's in the world there are fifty five of us right now, and there's this gradient of the people who have it, and there's a percentage. Fifty five. Yeah, and it keeps changing. At one point it was, you know, fifty eight. Then it went down to thirty seven. Then it went up to because it they, the testing's ongoing. They literally put. Do us, they know what it is? Have they have they studied? Well, it? this is what happened. They put. Um, it's so funny. I don't know. Fifty five is like fifty five. So when percentage point zero 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 whatever, um, they wire us, put us through an MRI, ask us questions. You know, I, I make it sound like there's all these MRIs one at a time. Yeah. We go through the MRI, wire us, wire our brains, put us through the MRI, ask us questions, see how it all fires up. They've taken 300 measurements of our brains, and they have found nine areas that are 10 times larger than the normal brain. What are they? Oh, I don't know. I mean, no, they're like oh, little weird measurements. Are, are, 300 measurements. Are there any other similarities between, in personality-wise? No, there's like a real 
range because I'm, you know, some people are so troubled by this that they can't even function. Why? That's what I was asking. What? What? Um, makes, is it I think because they feel like it's overwhelming and. I don't know. See, memory's tied to adrenaline anyway. That's why people remember the highs and the lows. Yeah. Uh, you'll remember the birth of a baby or a great experience, or you'll remember losing somebody or a bad breakup, which everybody always asks me about, and uh, you know, or a time being humiliated in class or things like that. But it's those middle of the road memories that I'm trying to help people bring back because that's the that's real the stuff. Yeah. Well, does it? Is it ever? overwhelming at all? I mean, I guess my question is, are you ever flooded with it or is it just when you tap into it? No, you're flooded, but it's like a pilot light that you could, you know, it's like I can listen to, let's say I'm on the phone with my sister. I'm talking to Crystal and a song comes on the radio uh, and I can literally like scroll through all the times I've ever heard that song or and indulge myself in it or because I'm talking to her, I'll go like, oh, you know, a few of them will pop in and it's, then I'll go back to talking to her. So did that make school particularly easy for you? Well, it was easy for me because I loved learning. I was a good student. Right. Um, for some people, they feel like it's too much. There, there's a range of people who have it. A lot of people are not happy with it. I just always loved it. Has it free, as far as your acting, does it free you up to be more, to be more, just more in the person because you're not worried about the words as much? Yeah, but it, that, that's more photographic memory and it's mm-hmm. more about retention, retaining words. Yeah. No, I'll read a script and I'll remember where I was when I read it, what I was wearing, what I was doing on that day, what it, re, what the characters remind, what the character's life reminds me of in my own life. So it's it's a very experiential memory and it fires on with all Do senses. Do you feel like it's helped your acting? Yeah, it does. I think there were there was a period in my life where I always felt like I had to do the same thing over and over again, or it was easy to. Yeah. Like, I would remember my lines so definitely, and then sometimes I feel like I wasn't as good with the, the way people talk and there's halting and stuff like yeah. that. You know, so I was saying, oh, I'm cutting myself off from... You know the way most people behave. <laughs> so it's funny. I was doing, um, you know, you know the show Unforgettable. Yeah. Okay. So the character is kind of based on me. Yeah. I mean, it's a combination of things. And Poppy Montgomery plays her brilliantly. And and they, I'm a consultant. I'm not only a consultant. I'm a co-producer on it now. And so what happened was I did a guest star, and uh, the character, my character, was supposed to be early onset Alzheimer's. They thought that would be kind of interesting. Right. So anyway, so there's a moment in the show where Poppy hands me a picture and she says, do you know who this is? And I went, no. And so cut, cut, cut. They said, Mary Lou, most people can't look at a photograph quickly and not, and know exactly if they know that person or not. Oh. You have to struggle with it a little more because that's what most people do. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes there's adjustments. Is, that's, a, I, that's amazing because for me, like for, as someone who has a, I consider myself to have a bad memory. Yeah. And you own that. You act like that, though. And it sort of gives you permission to, like, forget things. Well, I don't know if I need permission to forget things. Or maybe subconsciously I'm giving myself permission. Yeah. But there's some things that I... It's weird. I consider myself to have a bad memory, right? Uh But I can tell you every joke I've ever told. Oh, see? Well, that's... Oh, okay. There's your primary track. Right? So I can... And I can remember those stories and those jokes. Yeah. I can remember that. Well, it's also probably the repetition, too, because you right. fa- crafted it and honed it. You know, that's why people have to, like, exercise their minds a little bit more. Well, it's interesting because I, there's some guy, a guy I know who's an avid golfer, mm-hmm. okay? And he doesn't remember much except if you said, hey, man, the third hole when you played in eighth grade on right. the high school team, 
the second golf match you ever but he could tell you every shot okay, that's his primary track that's that's where he would start those are his hard edge pieces in the jigsaw puzzle of his life and he could start bringing back memories based on that it's really fascinating yeah it is well this is how i describe it i always say this it's like if all you do you know people say well why is it so important to develop a you know an autobiographical memory and i say okay if all we do if all you do is you wake up you live your life you turn off the light you go to sleep yeah you wake up, you live your life, you turn off the light, you go to sleep, and nothing has moved forward. What does it all mean? So to me, developing a strong, or stronger autobiographical memory, it's really our strongest line of defense against meaninglessness that we have. Wow. Because you are able to then take information from your past, bring it to the present, and let it inform a better future. Holy so. moly. Hey, Aaron, that might be the smartest thing anyone's ever said on this podcast. <laughs> um, I had a ton of questions online about okay. Burt Reynolds. Oh. And I somebody heard. asked a very interesting question hmm. because he, during Evening Shade, he was going through a terrible divorce. Well, just the fourth season. Okay. Does that, because it's the same way I asked if, if your mom's death affected you yeah. and how you. Does, well, if everything affects you. Right. Does so, that, yeah. did he, because I know people who are good at. I don't bring any of this shit to work. Right, right, right. Was he, was he, some people want to know, was he okay at good at just kind of being, this is my, and, and he almost escaped, this is where he came to play? Uh, definitely. And it's a combination. I mean, you know, it's never, I always call it like, you know, your roulette wheel of feelings. It's like you could stop on anything. Where, yeah. does, the, where does the ball stop, the red or the black or the this or what number? And you've got them all in you. It's like, which ones do you act upon? Yeah. And so I think that Bert had some dark days and some really happy days. Certainly, we were such a family by fourth year that I think a lot of it was an escape for him. And, uh, you know, he processed it as best he could. And there were certain things. I... Loved what I love watching him on screen. He, oh, he's, he's so charming. He's special. Who he's do amazing. you think the closest thing we have right now to? Because here's what he mm. brought. He, you know, he's miss, so wry and, and he, so ma fast. And but he's also he's got he adds that rascal or mischievousness yeah, to yeah. him. Yeah, the twinkle. He's got yes. the twinkle. I mean, maybe George Clooney, but everybody says George Clooney for everything. He's our Clark Gable. He's yeah. our Cary Grant. He's our everything. I don't think Clooney's um, as, as as rat. There was something a little more that I related to more rascally. Although mm -hmm. Clooney is a yeah, he's got that yeah, you know, but, kind of like twinkle. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's somebody now that that because to me, he, remember we talked about movie star. Yeah, oh yeah, he was a movie star. That's what, but he was the first person. You talking about he, Bert? Bert. Yep. Bert was the first person that went on something like The Tonight Show and broke that wall. You know what I mean? And How so? Like, what do you mean? Well, I, they didn't have like big movie stars. He was one of the first big movie stars who really oh really pulled down the curtain. Yeah, and you've got to see. And then he co-host, uh, guest hosted, yeah. and stuff like that. Because he's so, you know, yeah, funny. He, he's so in present time. I mean, Bert is faster than almost anybody I've ever met. You mean funny-wise? Funny-wise. Yeah, he I, takes it in. I, I heard that about him. And you could, by the way, to me, that's one of the things that you can see on screen. Yeah. And I, and I, 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 I for me, it's one of the biggest travesties what has ended up happening with him. Mm -hmm. Because I... <laughs> I know he did some funny, which don't, which you know, aren't actor actors parts. Sure, but I, I don't think he's. Um, 
I don't think we hold him in high enough status. Yeah, Stature. I know. I agree with you. I really agree with you. I think he's so underrated, and he's such a, and he's somebody who so gives back. I mean, go. I've worked with him five times. You know, people always say, "Oh, did you and Bert have an affair?" And go, yeah. "No, because he was either fr not free, or I was not free, or we were." But that's probably why I got to work with him so for so many times. <laughs> but we had a very special, and he wrote about wonderful, wonderful things in the book about our relationship. And you know, I just talked to him like a couple. I mean, he was on my show recently. He owned the seventies. Yes. Oh yeah. The 70s I mean, he, and 80. I worked with him in 83, 1983. Uh, March the 7th, it was a oh, Monday. Oh, Monday. <laughs> Mar but, 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 he, but as far as movies-wise, he was the guy, Oh, right? he was the, the number one box office guy for five years in a row. Bigger than Redford? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess he's, you know, more like there and in your living room. And, yeah. yeah I mean, number one. But I don't think Redford had it five years in a row. No, not too many no. people did. No. You said earlier to me today that he was a good kisser. Oh, yeah. Great kisser. Great kisser. Yeah. I've never done a screen kiss. You never have? Oh, no. I've done nude scenes. I mean, I've done all kinds of stuff. What do you do? <laughs> a the, kissing the, scene? Well, let's start with the kissing scene. Okay. Are you really kissing? Yeah, you're kissing. Yeah, you're kissing. I mean, there are some people that I've been like cast opposite. They're like, oh. And, you know, so. And yeah. do you ever, are you ever like, let's get the first one out of the way, not on camera, just so it's not awkward? Or do you just. No. I'm, I'm no. I mean, there. You've got. It. Yeah, it's funny. We have this expression in my family. Can, how, can I really say? Say whatever language? you want. Okay. Here. So we have this expression yeah. in my family called PF. Mm -hmm. You know, PF is like the sexual quotient of stuff. It's like you know, uh, uh, you know, it measures the sexual. So it's you might go, oh my gosh, I saw that movie. So much PF between the the two leads. Or right. God, they have no PF. It's terrible. Or oh, I went to that restaurant. Tons of PF. Or my brother will call me and he'll say, I'm going. Uh, I'm going to the, the, this party you invited me to. Is there going to be a lot of PF there? Should I wear my contacts or my glasses? You know that kind yeah. of thing. All right. So what it basically PF means. It, it's either penis factor or pussy factor. Mm -hmm. So it just, it's like measures the sexual quotient of things. You know, huh. so now you know what PF yeah. is. Right. So I think that if you're the kind of person who, I mean, you can usually find the PF with your co-stars. It's rare that you can't. If you can't, usually you're not supposed to be working with that person. Sexing naked. Yeah. But when you're naked, naked, naked? Naked, naked. A few times, three times naked, naked. Dudes naked, naked too? <laughs> Dude's naked, naked too. And so, how does a dude who's naked, naked, and you're naked, naked? Yeah. How does he not get yeah. hard? Well, you're, you know, you're, you know, that sometimes. I mean, you're just careful. And also, there's a million people watching. Yeah. You know what's funny about doing? Yeah, but let me just say this, and I can tell you this because we're the safe zone. But your PF, I'm sure, is like, I will tell you, my brother was like, for sure, the sexiest woman that's ever been on TV. And I was oh. like. I, and I told him, I was like, 100%, like, you, you came through the screen, too. That's why I'm oh. asking, how is that dude who's naked on top of Mary Lou Henner not... <laughs> well, we're not, not simulating sex. It's usually a post-coital yeah, kind of thing. you're still naked. But it's like, you're, you're, <laughs> you got to be careful, yeah. you know, whatever. You and, start you thinking know. about baseball. But what's funny is... Uh, you know, as an actress, you get into like great shape for your scene. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, it's got to be. And then it's like, you know, where your scene's going to be, it was supposed to be Thursday, but now it's going to be, you know, Monday. It's like, no, <laughs> my thighs are peaking on Wednesday. We've got to do it Thursday. I'm picking out this weekend. I planned it, you know. And then they, they, they put body makeup on you and you're so, you know, you feel like a statue and you feel like, oh, damn, I look pretty good, especially now that body makeup's on. And then you get out to the set and nobody says anything because, of course, everybody. Everybody's respectful, and then it's like, 
Nobody's going to say anything, you know. That yeah. Kind of thing. Excuse me. I've been. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where's my PF right yeah. now, <laughs> motherfucker? I'm here on set. I got some. When so you you started acting at a young age. Were you? Did you? Mm-hmm. Were you into boys at an early age too? Oh, I was always boy crazy. I love boys. I mean, I you know when you think about primary track, I would, people would say, well, like, what's your primary track? And I would say, oh, boys in my weight. You know, that was always my joke. <laughs> uh, the, in fact, I wanted to call my first book that boys in my weight. We called it. By all means, keep on moving. Yeah. I'm also like got a lot of energy. Um, but no, I, was I haven't always, noticed that. I, I always loved boys. <laughs> I always was very boy crazy and just I love men. I come from a big family, six kids. I'm the third girl. There's three girls, then a boy, then a girl, then a boy. And I'm the third girl. And my family upbringing was very unusual because we lived right in the heart of the city of Chicago. Yeah. And uh, my mother was a dancer. She wanted to teach dancing, so we had a fake three-car garage in our backyard, and my father, we built it, and it was a dance studio. Yeah. So everybody in the neighborhood came and took dancing from us. We had 200 students between the ages of 2 and 80, including the nuns from the Catholic school next door. They came over for stretch classes. They did. So we had the nuns, and every kid in the neighborhood, you know, like social dancing, tap LA jazz, as soon as you were 14, as a kid, you got a class and you taught dancing. But that wasn't enough for my mom. Out of our kitchen, we also had a beauty salon. What? The entire kitchen was set up like a salon. The refrigerator was in the basement, on the way to the basement. And in its place was a blue hair drying chair. And she had about 25 women from the neighborhood who would come over for cuts and perms and, and their hair color. So there were people in and out of your place Constantly. all the time. But, that, but wait, there's more. Upstairs from us lived my uncle, because it was like a Chicago two-flat. My uncle lived upstairs with 10 cats, two dogs, two birds, a skunk, 150 fish, and his boyfriend, Charles. And he lived upstairs and taught art classes at the Catholic Grammar School next door. He had art. He was the art teacher. He had art classes going on upstairs while the dancing school was in the backyard. The beauty shop was in the kitchen. He was also the neighborhood astrologist, and he ran a cat hospital on our roof. What is happening over there? That's how I grew up. So it's constant. 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 People stepping over bodies because people slept over. Okay, so then, so you, you, when you, you say you were into boys early. Yeah, I loved boys. Your mom and dad, like, were they cool with you dating early? Because yeah, people I dated, in and out? you know, 14, yeah. like that. But I mean, don't forget, we had all that social dancing, all those pheromones and yeah. hormones kind of reeking, VF, kind of wafting. You know, so 7th and 8th grade class was on Fridays at 6.30, and then the high school class was at 7.30 on Friday. And you'd have, you know, slow dancing and think like, why does he have a roll of quarters in his pocket? <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. It's like the bus. Did you develop early? Uh, well, well, first of all, my sister, who's just above me, you know, because there's three girls. So yeah. my second sister, oh my gosh, just the biggest breast you've ever seen. She had to have an operation and no personality for tits. None. None? Zero. Not really. She's a therapist. So, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Wait, She's she got like, a reduction. She did. Oh, At why? what age? Uh, no, older, like 40. Yeah. Yeah. She got a reduction. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta. Yeah. It was. So she was. It was affecting her posture and her back and and everything else. You know, I told my daughter when she was young. You know, my daughter, I had to buy a double D bra for. Mm-hmm. And I t- I handed it to her. That was her first bra. Because my mother would not let you wear a bra in our family till you were a B. It was which the, is unheard of. It was the first one that I had bought for. That her. you bought. And I told her, I said, you know, babe, you're like Spider Man now. <sighs> With great power comes great responsibility. Right. Those are great power. Yeah. Please use them for good. Sure. And not for evil. Sure, sure, sure. They are, yeah. Sh- 
it's an interesting thing when that happens. When I saw it in her when she realized the power that they held. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. It's funny because we're talking about evening shit, yeah. you know, Burt Reynolds. There was a character played by Linda Geringer who was, she was like totally flat. I mean, she was like an A cup, right? And, but her character was this stripper that came on in the first episode, Fontana Beausoleil. And they would strap Great on name. these big, double D's and give her the whole thing and push her own you know chest together and yeah. give her cleavage she said everybody treated her differently when she was Fontana <laughs> she had this very athletic body a beautiful body great legs and everything else you know and then she'd put on these boobs and it was like a totally different reaction from everyone yeah it's kind of crazy yeah, right it is well men you know I mean I think my mother when we'd start to date a guy she'd ask two questions does he have sisters you know, and can he dance? Because she thought, okay, the sisters, I can't do anything about it. But a boy who has sisters will respect you more. Because we, I knew what pigs my brothers were. You know? Yeah. Well, that's I the knew thing. guys. I knew I, guys. I, people ask me, you know, about why. It, I know that I had a little bit of a double standard as far as with my boy, my son's Good dating. Thing. And my daughter. Yeah. Because for me, like, I understand the path of the boys. Yeah. And I understand, like, their mentality. Which is why I didn't want... I, I would tell my daughter, look, if so, if a boy at school asks you, how's your day? The subtext of how's your day is touch my dick. Yeah. That's it. Everything he says to you, the subtext is when yeah, are you. Does she have a good relationship with men as a result of, you know, touch my dick talk from my father? Well, she, her relationship with men is, you know, her biological dad uh-huh. bailed when she was, I guess, eight months. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and she's, so she's got some abandonment issues. Um, you know, and she gets some issues with her mom. Right. So it's, and she's a middle child. Yeah. So there's a lot of things working. Her relationship with men, she has a great relationship with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she understands that how I feel, but she's right. a pleaser. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I wish it, my son was the pleaser and my, cause I don't want my daughter to be the pleaser. Yeah. Does she have a serious boyfriend? She had a serious boyfriend uh-huh. and she's. Did gr- you like him? I liked one of them. Oh. One of them I wasn't. Was she was he not bad boy enough for her? Interesting that you yeah. asked that. She liked both of them. Mm-hmm. The one that she broke up with wasn't bad boy enough. Mm, I see. Yeah, because sometimes you know what else is I, the yeah. bad boy thing because because it's I feel like young, as young girl is thing. it young girl? Yeah. Well, it's a lot of different things. It's I think girls feel so you know awkward in the beginning, and it's you know they like to be tortured a little bit, and also I think a lot of it has to do with. What you know, I, I always describe it as uh, this way. Let's say you grow up and the dynamic in the family, especially if you're like, let's say, a middle child between two boys, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so she was be, so she was probably tortured or a lot of responsibility or yeah. whatever. So then you recreate that MO. It's like that becomes what I call your car, and then you go to a parking lot and you recognize, yeah, that's my car, you know. So you know how to go socially out in the world, and it's like, yeah, that's those are my people. Those that's oh. my car. I I want to get people just automatically subconsciously get people to treat them the way their family treated them and if those issues have not been worked out then sometimes it's pretty crazy that's very interesting do you, you know as far as you know we talked earlier today about parenting and yeah. that this generation of parents we there are some issues we have oh my gosh yeah why do you think people are so scared to be parents as a as opposed the to the friend yeah the buddy, because they don't want to be the cool parent. They don't want to be the, the uncool parent. But do they know they're tri- they're they're 
You know, I tell people all the time, you're crippling your child. Yeah, but they don't see it. That's what my whole book about is, is, is about, a book that I wrote with this brilliant psychoanalyst in 1999. It's called I Refuse to Raise a Brat. could also be called, like, I Refuse to Date a Brat yeah. because, you you know, you, little brats turn into big brats. And, uh, you know, parents do not want to be the uncool person. And I think that because everybody wants to stay so young and hip and wants to be the cool person, they're afraid to parent. And people, you know, have never worked out their issues or they're doing the exact opposite that their parents did, or they want to duplicate with their parents. But, you know, don't, I mean, we could do like hours on parenting because it makes me crazy. You know, one of the biggest problems, and, I, and I've told people this, like they, they they said, if you could give one suggestion, quick line. Okay, we have a phone call. Hold on one second. Oh. I, I know we've been, I've been ignoring them all day because I've oh. been talking to you. <laughs> um, hey, whoever's on the phone, call back in two minutes. I want to ask you this. Okay. This is the one thing that I tell people. Instead of asking Stop to putting question marks at the end of the sentences with the kids. Mm-hmm. That means you're giving them the option. Yeah. Do you want chicken oh, tonight? No. 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 Like, we're having chicken tonight. Yeah. And I was like, it doesn't change so much of your life. But when you're you're treating them like an adult, you're treating them like an equal bah, when you put that question bah. mark at the end, no, right? No, terrible. No, no is a complete sentence. No yeah. explanations, no negotiations, no idle threats. I remember one time I was giving my son a hard time. He was two and a half years old. He said, you're a bad mommy. I said, you're not supposed to point. He went... You're a bad mommy. <laughs> <laughs> but at two and a half, my son says, Mommy says, no screaming, no screaming, no biting, no dairy products, no sugar. <laughs> no. I will tell you what, my, and my kids will tell you too. Like my son Jacob, I don't, like, I don't, I hear the way some people talk to their parents. It's ridiculous. And I'm, I, no. you know, let me tell you, I was okay. I, and I used to tell a joke about this, but I, I remember being at Jacob's elementary school. And um, one of the parents, a kid was swearing at other kids. And by the way, when I was growing up, I would if if my friend's kid was swearing, it would have been okay for me to correct him. Right. Right. Now yes. you can't do that. Now. Yeah. If you talk to somebody else's kid, you're in for a oh. fucking world of shit. I know. A world of shit. So I heard him, and I heard the woman that I know say to him, "Now, and I'll just call him Kenny. Kenny, you shouldn't." Don't swear at other boys and girls. And he said, why? And she said, because it, quote, it might give them a headache. And I what? was like, that's what I said. I said, what? So uh, it was funny. <laughs> she said, she was like, I was like, I can't believe you said that to him. Give him a headache. Just say, don't swear. Yeah. Don't swear. Absolutely. Don't swear. And when people, I always tell him, well, like when my son used to ask why, I would give crazy explanations. If he'd be like, why? I'd be like, because I'll kill the fucking Easter Bunny. That's why. Oh. Because I'm going to make sure Santa doesn't come this year. Why? Because I'm going to drown. Like, yeah, yeah. whatever. Like, I would just I would just tell him there's no reason. I would make yeah. the reason so ridiculous. Like, yeah, it doesn't to, like, matter yeah. what the reason is. Right. The reason is, is because it's coming out of my mouth. Yes, exactly. Period. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, because that makes him feel so entitled. And it's crazy. It's crazy what, what's going on. And... You're really robbing your kids because kids are growing up with no frustration yeah. tolerance, no uh, no coping skills, and then they get out into the world. At jobs. The world doesn't feel the way about them that their parents made them think the world was going to feel about them, and now they don't know what to do. I have had more assistant-type people come into my life, and they have no, no skills, life skills at all. No, they don't you, know how to do anything. And you can't speak curtly to them. No. Because it, oh, you can see the just... The emotion on their face, like yeah. that, that was seems so short and rude. Right. Hey, I don't listen. Not everything's gonna be roses here. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm not in a great mood, and sometimes you fuck up. And when you fuck up, I'm gonna tell you you fuck up. Yeah. Not by holding your hand, but by mm-hmm. saying, 
hey, this shit is not going to work. My, my boys both wanted to work very young in life because they really like work. And I said, I want to get you the job, but I'll get you the email of the person who can, you know. I did the same and thing. And so, you know, then they write these funny emails. So I I'm, guess we're I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, 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 I take, a, a, take a call. call. Hey, hey, you're on with Josh and Mary Lou. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, Josh. It's Justin from Quincy. How are you, man? Hey, Justin. How are you? Hey, Justin. I'm great. Hi, Mary Lou. How are Hi, you? Hi, good. Do you have a question for Mary Lou? Absolutely. First of all, it's such an honor to be talking to you right now. I, I grew you. up with uh, with Taxi. My, my mom and my dad always had it on. So Aww. to be able to talk to you right now is incredible. Oh, so thank, thank you so you. much for the opportunity. Well, thanks. Go ahead, buddy. Did... Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Greece. Oh. Um, I know that you were Marty yes. uh, for a long time. It... Um, and, and you got to, to work with Jeff Conway on Taxi. Yes. Uh, what what was what was he like? I mean, to watch him kind of broke my heart as he as he progressed in age. What what was he like in in life? And well, uh, you know, he what happened was I did the original company in Chicago before it ever even went to Broadway mm-hmm. or anywhere because a friend of mine actually wrote the show. Somebody I knew from Chicago Community Theater, and so when I got the part in the First National Company, which is another whole story, Jeff was our Danny Zuko. So we w- were going to go traveling on the road together for you know uh, at least six months because then Barry Bostwick came in and Jeff went to Broadway. Um, John Travolta was also in it. He played Duty, one of the other characters. He played so Duty. He played Duty, and uh, uh, I. I don't know if you know Judy Kay. She's a Broadway actress. She yeah. was uh, Rizzo and Jerry Zaks, who's, you know, director, big Broadway director. And anyway, so he played Kaneki. Anyway, so what happened was uh, Jeff had been a child star and he was kind of sickly and he was like the sweetest person ever. Sickly? Sickly. He really? was always like sick. He was always with the the humidifiers. He was always with the vitamins. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he was always the one, if, if anybody's going to miss a performance, it was going to be Jeff because he was kind of, I don't want to say frail, but he was just very susceptible mm-hmm. to like colds and, and things like that. Um, I was thrilled when he got Taxi and it was very exciting because he was my old buddy and we got to work together and everything uh, again. Um, but he definitely had his demons and issues and was just, you know, not, I mean, the nicest, nicest person. I loved Jeff. I loved him. And so sweet. But I, and also celebrity rehab, truthfully, I think he wound up a bit for the cameras. Yeah. And I think he wanted to get a second season out of it, which he did, you know. Yeah. But it was, it was heartbreaking to see him. That, on that. was really, he in particular stood out. Oh, yeah. As just sad, yeah. And I, it, watching him on there made me hate reality television. Yeah. No, I don't think it was handled mm-hmm. very well. Well, yeah. it made me hate it not only because why? What right do I have to watch this yeah. guy? But on top of that, I, I felt the same thing. Like, oh, he's playing it up because he doesn't have a lot else yes. going on right now. Yeah. Which also isn't good. No. You're pray. You're good. preying on his. Yeah. On his insecurities. And also he had that girl, you know, his girlfriend was yeah. involved and she wasn't like Miss Mental Health either. So, you know, but he was so dear. I talked to him every holiday season. I know his family really well and just a wonderful person. Was it hard for him because he was Danny Zuko and then when the movie came along not Dr. to be Danny Z- No, I mean, I think, you know, an actor's an actor. And, and also they made the character so much more like the Danny character and you know he I think he was thrilled to do the movie and it certainly helped his career and he and Johnny and I all had the um, uh, same manager so John Travolta John Travolta yeah 
Yeah. By the way, Jeff Conway, maybe top 10 best hair in the business. Oh. Come on. Yeah, the hair. That mane yeah, was yeah. not Gorgeous. terrible. Yeah, and pretty he had good. until the day he died. Yeah, Quaff, sure. too. Yeah, quaff. The hair on <laughs> Taxi was like... It's everybody. everybody. It was like... <laughs> Tony's. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> what it, it, did, Was it true that... Justin, do you mind if I hop in and ask you a question? Oh. Go for it, man. You're, <laughs> you're the host of the podcast, Is so that go for it. <laughs> was, was Taxi Tony Dan's, Tony, Tony Dan's first role? Yeah, he did a small thing in a movie, but he was actually discovered by a guy who was a CB, an ABC executive who saw him in a gym and thought, this guy's got a great face, great personality and everything else. And he had never he acted. Supposed, no, not really. And so what happened was, no, he was he had a wrestling scholarship uh, in college, um, but he, uh, he was, uh, the character was supposed to be Phil Ryan. Phil mm-hmm. Ryan. It was supposed to be an Irish guy named Phil Ryan who was this, you know, uh, I guess heavyweight or whatever. I don't, you know, whatever yeah. the classes are. And uh, and then they liked Tony so much and they thought, mm, we could call him Phil, but he's never acted before. He might not answer to Tony. <laughs> to anything but Tony. If you notice, he's always called Tony in his, uh, his television series. But so. funny, Greg Garcia, who I had on the podcast, he and everything he's ever cast me in names me Josh yeah for that reason I'm like I, but after raising hope I was like why am I always Josh he was like I don't know how bright you are I don't want to give you too many things to yeah. think about and I was like well okay interesting that but for his first time uh-huh. his, he, he seems so natural oh so natural he's got like a great sense of timing he looks great yeah yeah did they he's my closest friend from the show from the show oh, he yeah. still looks still amazing great friends yeah what was that? Did, did that sh- that cast seem so tight knit? Oh my God, so tight knit. Well, earlier you asked me about did I know any of them before? Yeah. I had seen Judd on Broadway in Chapter Two and was just you know so in awestruck. He was the he star was. He was, of that. He was the big star. Yes. It was Judd Hirsch in Taxi. Mm-hmm. So he had seen, and then I of course had seen Cuckoo's Nest. So I had seen Danny before, but Tony I didn't know. Jeff I knew, you know, but uh, and and Andy Randall Carver who was in the first year with us. I had been in an improv class with him. And Robin Williams and John Ritter. Can you imagine? What? Before Mork and Mindy, uh, Robin Williams was in a uh, an, an improv, improv class, class out here with him in and John Ritter. John what? was already on Three's Company, had just gotten it, and so he was in this class. And you can imagine. What is that, that like, like to do an improv class with Robin Williams? Oh, you just get on stage and hang on for dear life and just stay out of the way. <laughs> but I've seen him like get up there and bomb sometimes, very rarely, but he was just unbelievable. Robin, I was very lucky to know Robin for a long time, and I actually, a few months before he passed away, I got to play his ex-wife on The Crazy Ones, mm-hmm. and if the show had been picked up, we were going to do, I was going to do five more episodes, because he asked for me to play the part, and, you know, just a great guy. I mean, He seemed like such a so kind much. soul. So kind. So sweet, the kind of person, you know how sometimes in show business, let's say you have family there mm-hmm. and you're so excited to have them out in L.A. And, you know, you could see somebody and think like, oh, I better take a temperature on that person. And could I bring them up to them? Never with Robin. Robin, you could just trust that he was going to be gracious and funny. And yeah, I mean, he met my sister and she's quite a looker. And he he met her and he, he met her and he says, oh, have this woman washed and sent to my tent. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly. And he saw my little Joey because we did an event at the Hollywood Bowl and my Joey was uh, five at the time and he went oh uh, he's got red hair and he said oh Ronnie Howard's body double you know because <laughs> he looked like Opie he's that's amazing like he, you could read uh, for me it's one of the very few people where you you could see everything through his eyes yes every kindness s- every ounce of who he was mm-hmm. just poured out of his eyes yeah and I, w- I remember you know you watch old clips of him on doing stand up 
And it's the energy was oh just nonstop. I mean, talk about a brain that could take in so much information and retained was so his much retention information. same? Yeah, I mean, you 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 know when you think about it, I I saw him like perform many times live, and you never saw the same show twice. And what he would pull, it was just like I mean, you know, it, it was all in there, and just he'd access it at lightning speed. Really amazing. Interesting. And what was because I imagine John Ritter was also an amazing improv oh, yeah, person for sure. But what made them different? But but equally brilliant as what, as what uh, they did. Robin is a very verbal improver, and John was a physical comedian genius. I mean, unbelievable. I did a movie with John, Noises Off. I did mm-hmm. the movie version of Noises Off, and I literally saw him fall down the stairs and stand at the end. I mean, crazy. Like no so stunts. Fi- that physical comedy he did. That physical comedy he could he just had it in his body. He was really something. That's rare. And by the way, Justin, do you have any other questions? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you bring up the crazy ones because I remember that role that that you played, Mary. Oh, it was phenomenal! I was so disappointed you. when they didn't come back for a second season. Um, you you do a lot of guest work, and I, I remember Grey's Anatomy. You you oh. had one heck of a, a guest star on on that, yeah. and and one of my favorite of all time, Party Down. Oh my uh, gosh, that was so show? fun! Oh, I, first of all. Phenomenal in in any role, Mary Lou, just absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. Uh, is there a television show that's on right now that you would bend over backwards to be a guest star on? Uh, let me think. Let's see. What do I really like? I don't know. I mean, you know, I love to work. So, oh, I know, Masters of Sex. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You like it that? It came down. I love that show. That's one of my appointment television. I think it's really cool. And also, a friend of mine, John um, John Madden, mm-hmm. not. Not that, that John yeah, Madden, yeah. the Shakespeare and Love John Madden, yeah. and you know, uh, he do, directed me in something, and he directed the pilot of that, and I just love that show. So I would say Masters of Sex, because I like period things, and I think it's really smart. Is there a role, a type of woman that you have yet to play that you were like, I wish someone would give me the opportunity to be this person? Well, you know, it's really funny. I I don't know that I've ever gotten to play a character who quite has you know. My kind of energy. So yeah. what sometimes I find that on film, especially, I have to like calm it down a bit because people have said we can't even follow you, on <laughs> so we have to be careful. Uh, so it'd be kind of fun to like play a character that has like a lot of energy. I mean, not that my characters don't, but you know, because you have to make your characters have to at least be as interesting as you are. You think? Have you ever been able to play like somebody just fucking terrible? Uh oh oh. A villain is like the most fun to play. I got to play it in The Governor's Wife. I shoot, I kill three people. I get totally shot and I keep coming at the shooter at the end. Why is it so fun to play that villain? Because a villain always has a lot going on in their brain. You know, they're not just like, oh, honey, did you have a tough, you know, it's like not one of those characters. There's always the machinations. They're always thinking. They're always, you know, planning and conniving. So it's fun. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you watch Masters of Sex, Justin? I don't, but I'm going to now. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's so well done. Yeah, it's a special, special series. I, uh, I, I've been Netflix and like crazy. I'm oh, not you on, have? I'm not on Masters of Success. I watched Making a Murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm just, I know, take it easy, Aaron. I'm just getting to Game of Thrones. Oh, I watched some of that with my son. I'm not, I, you know, I can't sit and binge watch something unless I'm got a cleaning out a drawer or doing my research for the show the next day. I yeah. feel too guilty or something i feel like are you not good at there and no i it's not it's not because i you know have to be moving all the time it's just that sometimes it feels indulgent when i've got a lot more to do 
But to, and Justin, thank you very much thank for you, calling, Justin. man. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely. Great thank questions. you so much, Mary Again, it's, it's been a pleasure. My uh, my mother, my mother-in-law, my husband, and all of my nieces and nephews are sitting oh. at home watching right now because oh. they're such huge fans. So thank, thank you very you. much for the opportunity. Thank you. Which camera do I wave to him? Either one of them. Oh, either there one. You thank you so much. Thank uh, you. And I have Thanks, Justin. Uh, let me, I'll give the number again. No because I know I've been ignoring phone calls because <laughs> I ignore him. He goes like this to me, but I'm having so much fun talking to you that uh, I always... So 323-282-7424, Say it slower so that people can remember. 323 <laughs> Oh, it's on screen, 282-7424. Okay. Um, it's interesting that you would say that about being indulgent. Don't you feel like you deserve that sometimes? Oh, and it's also my business. It's my craft and yeah. stuff. But I don't know. I, I, you know, I know you're not supposed to multitask, but I almost always multitask. Now, you, you, uh, somebody asked this too, and I'm going to ask for them. Uh, you, by the way, and I've said this both times I met you. You look amazing. Oh, like you are. Thank you. Truly stunning. Thank you. Is there an? Is there a, you where you were like? It was is there or was there a cutoff age where you're like I don't think I would ever do a even if the part was perfectly right I would never do a nude scene again or I would never do a sex scene. Oh, again. I don't know. It depends on what the character is. It depends. You know, you always do it. Am I honoring the character? Right. Is it gratuitous? Is it, you know, whatever? I've never been somebody funny about you know, you know. I don't know. Nudity is not my hang up either. Yeah, no, nudity. Well, I'm not. It's I, you know, I I'd, I'd want like a couple weeks to like. Make sure. <laughs> You know, it looked all good, and the makeup was good, and the lighting was good. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, no, and it's not. I'm not an exhibitionist at all. I mean, I'm very, you know, mod- it, it's all about the character. It's about the character. You can put it there. Um, I, I agree with you. I'm not an exhibitionist, but like, I've done a. It, it turned down your computer. I've, but I've done a bunch of, like, if 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 it's for a joke. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like, for, I, for me, nudity is not. I have a lot of hangups. Not a lot. Yeah. I have a few, but nudity has never been one of them. Yeah. I wonder why that. No, I. Well, I'm modest. I'm pretty modest when it comes to stuff like that. But it depends on the character for me. For me. Hey, you're on with Mary Lou and Josh. What's your name? Where you're calling from? Hey, Josh. It's Mark. Hey, Mark. Hi, Mark. Mark's from Hi, Chicago. Mary Lou, I'm calling oh. from your hometown. Oh, Chicago. Chicago. Oh, I just talked to my son Joey, who is uh, who's at uh, Northwestern there, He's and he smart, said huh? it's very smart. I've won at Columbia University, won at Northwestern. So the brains came out of directly brains. out of your head. Yep. Well, yeah, they're dead smart too. But um, but uh, but anyway, he said it's like in the 30s there today. So that's pretty warm for Chicago. It is. <laughs> We're having a heat wave. Yeah, I know. That's Look what at us. he we said. Got turtlenecks. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's 70 out. Yeah. Mark, do you have a question for Mary Lou? I do. Um, I have a couple, actually. Okay. Um, the the first, Mary Lou, is I'm wondering, given your experience on The Celebrity Apprentice, oh. what your thoughts are about um, Trump running for president. Well, I definitely think. First of all, let me just tell you, Celebrity Apprentice was maybe one of what's definitely up there with one of my favorite Fun. experiences of my life. I loved it so much. I made a ton of money for my two charities. The first one was uh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Mm-hmm. And the second time, Alzheimer's, I made over $100,000 for amazing. them. It was great. You have to be a games player and love to play a game to be in it. I had a great time. He was a blast. He was, you know, I saw him at 6 in the morning. I saw him at midnight sometimes. I, he I, he reminded me of like I love the smell of you know business <laughs> yeah. in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> he loves what he does. I was not surprised he wanted to to run. He is in it to win it. 
I think Donald, uh, you know, he he says something, he throws it out there, sees the reaction, and then, like, runs with it and sees how far he can go with it. He's broken the fourth wall. He has certainly made this a very interesting yeah. interesting uh, game, and not game, uh, you know, political well, season. I will tell you, the one thing about him which he's better at than any of the other people is mm-hmm. that— He's good at playing the media. Yeah. And he and he doesn't care. Like you said, he'll throw it out there. And if it doesn't work, he's yeah. okay with that. Yeah. He'll just throw something else out there. Yeah. He's so good at that. And we live in such a sound bite society mm-hmm. that people in the future, I don't think he'll win, but people in the future when they run now are going to have gonna be, to be aware. To, oh, you could see when he's they've got all the the, the guys up there in the political de- in the Republican debates. He'll talk and he I've never seen him follow notes. You, he you doesn't, know right? nothing. No, not at all. Uh, and then somebody else goes into their stump speech and you can hear it and you could feel like okay, this person has said this yeah. over and over again. It's you amazing. Know? Yeah. No, I saw, you know, the boardrooms that you see that usually take about, you know, 15, 20 minutes on Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah. They sometimes take three hours because he goes through each person, not a note in front of him. I mean, just and picks up energy from people. Um, so we'll see he's what happens. He's a true I showman. Know. Like, he's a true showman. If, it, if we were in the 1800s, he would have been running like a circus. He would yeah. have been the ring man. Like yeah, the, right? sure. He would have been the. Own it. Yeah. yeah. And his his daughter is one of the most spectacular people I've ever met. She's Yeah, she's amazing. And she's great. Smart and Beautiful. gorgeous. Gorgeous. And gorgeous, a really gorgeous. good girl. Yeah. Uh, all right, Mark, that's question number one. You got another one? Yeah, I do, actually. One of the things that I really appreciate about you, Mary Lou, aside from uh, your talent, obviously, mm-hmm. you. is you have a really great energy about you. I mean, oh. you, that really is easy to pick up on in interviews oh. and all of that. Just a really bright energy. You are clearly a woman who lives, who doesn't just exist, but lives. So I'm, I want to go a little bit deeper and ask you, if you had one piece of wisdom mm. to share with the world, given your experience, what would that be? Mm. Okay. Well, besides, I'm always trying to, try to get people off dairy products. But besides that, the real, <laughs> the real wisdom. <laughs> you know what? I think my number one theory is the key to your life is how well you deal with plan B. Because you can hope for plan A, you can plan for plan A, but then when plan B happens... It's like your adjustment to it that really makes your life. Because you can be, you know, dragged, kicking and screaming to plan B. But, you know, it's like all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait a minute. And when you look for the opportunity or whatever, you can turn. It's really like your adjustment to what really happens to you in your life. Everything that great happened to me was a plan B situation. But you're you're overwhelmingly positive, which is I love, too. And I, I feel that way about. Like I try to live my life that way too, yeah. over what because I look. It takes more ne- energy to be negative. Oh sure. I, sure. But sure, what, sure. What, how, have you always been that way? Um, I think so. I think I had really good parents. I mean, I had them a short time, but they were incredible people. And you know, everybody in the neighborhood, the, the way I described growing up in Chicago with the dancing school and the beauty shop and everything else. I mean, everybody wished that they had my parents. So my parents were like the parents of the neighborhood. You know, if, if the kids, if the boys got in trouble, they went to my dad. Mm-hmm. If anybody got wanted to talk to like a confidant, they went to my mom. So I had really great parents That's amazing. growing up. You know, I had a friend 
who had parents like that too, mm-hmm. but he resented it because he felt like they were everybody's parents. Oh. That makes sense. Yeah, but I was one of six kids. You know, you're like so you cats like in a bag. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're benign neglect. I mean, forget about. It. You know, when when I see how many times parents, kids talk about being alone with their parents. Yeah, it's like. Oh my God! Did it, was I ever alone with one of my? You know, you're always with people. You know, benign neglect. You you said that to me earlier. Yeah. I actually think it 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 makes for good parenting. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Because you let them struggle a little bit. You know, when my son was learning to crawl, I'd take keys and I'd put them on, and he'd like struggle, 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 and then I'd move the keys. And people watched me do it a few times, and they'd say, "Why are you doing this? Why yeah. are you?" And I said, "Because this is, you know, crawling is going to help his reading, and I want him to really understand. I want him to know that things are, you know." I said, "I look for ways to frustrate my kids. I want them to have that frustration tolerance." You know, when my son, he was a good baseball player. Jacob was a really good baseball player, and he remember one game. He I mean, he was used to going out and just striking people out. Yeah. And one game, he was getting knocked around, and he was not pitching as well. And he started to cry on the mound, and he threw a little bit of a tantrum. And I coached the team. Uh huh. And um, I walked out, and I go, "Hey," and he goes, "You?" And he said something. I go, "Give me the ball." And he goes, "What position do you want me to play?" I go, "No, no, give me the glove too." And he goes, "What?" I, and we parked right next to the field. I go, "Go roll down the windows and sit in the car for the rest of the game." Hmm. And he was like. Well, I'm not going to go. There's no tantrums. Yeah. You don't start yelling at people. There's right. no. And um, I got in trouble with the league. Oh, because you gave your own son a punishment like that? Yeah. But they were like, the other parents were not comfortable with how you reprimanded him. I'm wow. Like, I was like, well, I don't give a fuck what they're comfortable with. Yeah. I really don't give a fuck. And my thing is, is that he needs to know, you know, <clears throat> my kids all will tell you, oh, yeah, if you threw a tantrum at the store and said, we're not leaving. You'll get left at the store. Yeah. I left my kids at Ralph's at Coldwater in Ventura. I left my old my oldest son there. He threw a tantrum, and he was like, I'm not going. I was like, all right. Okay. Well, we'll find- and, and, and a lot of times parents will give these stupid idle threats like, if you don't get in the car yeah. right now, we're not going on our trip this summer. It's no. like, that's ridiculous because yeah. kids are very smart. They're very yes. crafty. They understand. I left but- him. I left him, and um, as I was driving out, I saw him sort of sprint out of the store. Of course. Yeah, and listen, he never threw a tantrum in the store of course, ever again. Of course. But they're gonna push those boundaries. Yeah, they are. And they have to. They have that's like part of, you yeah. know, understanding. But if a parent get, gives in after like ten minutes of a of a tantrum, then they go, Okay, ten minutes. I you know, I'll set yeah. my watch yeah. next time. It's like ten minutes. Yeah. 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 Um sorry, Mark, sorry you had to hear that. Do you have uh, any other questions? I don't. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely, Mark. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, Bye. It, Bye. It's interesting that like the judgment sometimes you get for being a strict, I, I would say I'm not as strict as I would say my dad was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, there were certain things that I was always like, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to show more emotion than my dad showed. Uh-huh. That was very yeah. important for me. Yeah. I think that was generational for his. Sure, sure, sure. For his. Yeah. Right? Because for he grew sure. up in a uh, um, depression era. His parents were, right? And there was. It was business, and it was all work, right. and it was and no... And men were like that. Yeah, and no days. complaining. Like mad men. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that kind of thing. You weren't allowed to complain, or you mm-hmm. weren't allowed to show emotion. It was, it put your boots on, right. dust yourself off, and go, right. right? So I, even at a young age, I remember wanting more of that from my dad. I will tell you that he changed entirely when after his dad died. Oh. After his dad died, I remember the first time after his dad died, he never said, I love you. And, really? and we were talking on the phone. He was like, I love you. And I remember tearing up like, 
Yeah. What what just happened? And it and I talked to my brothers. I'm like, Dad said I love you. And my brother was like, Yeah, he said that to me too. Uh-huh. And my older brother was like, His dad just died. Yeah. His dad just so died. So he realized he probably never heard it from his father. So he said, I don't want to go out that yeah, way. Yeah, it was it yeah. was it was so I mean, I still get kind of moved oh, when I think about should. it. Is he still with us? My dad is still alive. Oh, I told you nice. he works oh, out yeah, every day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're very healthy. and uh, uh, But it was an amazing realization. And I knew, you know, I want my son, no matter how many times I say no to him, yeah. or, I oh. still want him to Yeah, know. but they know that you love them. If anything, you're like the parent that, you know, that kids trust. Kids, kids want boundaries. They do. They want rules. They want boundaries. You know, they might butt up against them but they're like happy because then they they feel safe they know that somebody is like you know watching them do, do you attack like it's interesting though to listen to you and from your radio show this morning you're uh-huh. a structured person yes do you consider yourself yeah, to be I a structured think I, person? I have a dancer's discipline definitely yeah. and did you t- you took that discipline into parenting yeah, I mean, you know, I never hit my kids. I would no, never yes, yeah. hit my children, but they got timeouts and stuff. And when you say structured, I mean, my kids, you know, they it wasn't like, oh, it's 6.30, they have to right. go to bed. But they did go to bed by 9 or something like that. What yeah. area of your world do you feel you allow yourself to be the most loosey-goosey in? Um, well, I, I think of myself as a, I, I think of myself as a fluid enough person that right. there's enough structure so that when something throws the structure out the window, I can kind of roll with it. I, I this is what I always say. I always say that every day you're in the laboratory of your life, and some experiments work and some of them don't. Yeah, that's why there's no such thing as cheating on your diet or you know that kind of stuff. It's like you're always taking in data, and you know it's like something. You know. Well, can you think of so so if you put that into acting, can you think of an audition where you're like, I'm taking this, I'm gonna take this fucking risk, and it it, it was a risk, and it you, it, it hit for off. you, yeah. Yes, and I can think of times that I took a risk and it didn't work at all. But it's worth doing that, right? Oh, it's totally worth it. Okay, I'll tell you two fast stories. Okay. All right, so I had an audition for um uh, uh L A Story. I don't know if you ever oh, saw yeah, the movie. Oh yeah, okay. Steve Martin. Steve Martin. I love Steve Martin. You were so, in L A Story. Yeah, I was in yeah. L A Story. I loved the part. I was originally auditioning for another part in L.A. Story, and they said, "Go, would you go read Trudy for us? And I went to the other room, I read it, and I went, I got, I cannot be dressed like this to, to, you know, audition for this character. Right. So I said, can I come back tomorrow because I have an appointment, which I actually did, so I wasn't lying. And then I dressed to the nines and everything else. Then I got a call back, and then I got, like, a screen test. And I thought, okay, this, I'm with Steve Martin. I'm, an, you know, I idolize this man. But my character is such a little bitch, and so like on her own time schedule, um, I thought, okay. And I, an acting teacher said, take the chance, do something outrageous. So what I did is, in the middle of my scene with him, where I'm kind of screen testing with him, I dumped my entire purse out, and I just decided to start cleaning everything in my purse, and just like looked at him, and I was such a brat in the scene that that's what got me the part. Well, he tell, loved it. Tell the story about Danny DeVito auditioning oh. for Taxi because he did the okay. same thing. He did the same thing. All right, yo, Danny, I love this Danny DeVito story. Because we talked earlier, like, look, anybody, uh-huh. especially in that era, when he told people, I want to be an actor, they were like, I'm sure they were like, that's a, I'm sure you do, little fella, because that was the era of beautiful people. Beautiful yes? people. He also has his beautician's license because his no, two he does sisters, not. Mr. Dan, he has his beautician no, license. No, he does not. Yes, because his sisters were beauticians, and they had a salon, and he thought, I better go to beauty school to have something to fall back on. So Danny not only plays the violin, but he also 
He's like a renaissance man. He's a renaissance man. All right. So he is in Cuckoo's Nest. He does, you know, yes. little off-Broadway type things here and there. Not off-off-Broadway things Because there are there. A, back then, there are not a lot of roles for d- no, a dude who looks like that. Not at all. All right. So they write this part of Louis de Palma. It's supposed to be the, the dispatcher. And Do you know what the original, what they had in their concept? Brit? Well, the original concept, What one of the reasons they wanted to write this part is that Jim Brooks and they had visited uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the Dover cab company yeah. in New York. It was like in the, I guess, the, um, like in Greenwich Village or something in New York. So they saw this guy, the dispatcher, who would like do something and he saw, they saw him like take a dollar. You know, it's like he took it, somebody had to pay him a dollar to get their phone messages or something like that. Right. So they decided this is the dispatcher. This is what Louis de Palma is going to be like. So they knew that they wanted somebody who could like stand toe to toe with Judd's character and give everybody a hard time. So Danny reads this at home from his agent. And he thinks this, I could kill with this part. He tells a story that he was down to his last clean shirt and his last $10 and unemployment was ending for him. Mm-hmm. So he had such a must have on this, but he thought, I can't blow it. I'm so nervous and everything else. He said he changed shirts a bunch of time. There wasn't even enough. I mean, he tells it in a great way. So now he goes to the audition, and it's like Jim Brooks, Ed Weinberger, Jim Burroughs, all these like heavyweights from the Mary Tyler Moore show and Phyllis and Rhoda and all this, you know, this like pedigree material. Yeah. And uh, the guys had just come off of all this very feminine writing for their female leads, and they wanted a show about guys. That's why there's only one female the first four years of Taxi, and it was lucky, and I was lucky enough to yeah. be me. But it was all guys, and this character, Louis De Palma. That never dawned on me. Mm-hmm. It never dawned on me. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. So Danny's nervous wreck. He's going there, all these heavyweights in the room, and he says, he got the paper. He says the paper was like shaking, but he decided to like use that energy and like really crack the paper. He cracks the paper and he goes, before we begin, I have one question. Who wrote this shit? And threw it down and they went crazy and he got offered the part that day. It's crazy, you know. It's it's a common theme that we've talked about a million times on this podcast, which I truly believe in, which is you can't be scared to fail. No, you can't. Oh no! Oh my God! It's like in every you walk have of to life. go through bad yes. to get to good. Always. Like, did you ever take up a musical instrument like the violin? I mean, can you imagine how bad you are on the violin before you get to be good? Oh yes, you I, ha- you I, can't be afraid to fail. You I can't. just picked up guitar, so I can guarantee you, I know how bad you are oh. when you start. But that's the thing, like. If you are scared to fail, which means you never take a risk, which means what you're telling yourself is, I am going to walk the path of the middle for my entire life. No, I, I always call it staying safe on the, you know, it's like you're so afraid of making a mistake that you stay at zero on the number line. You never take the chance to be negative, so you never take the chance to be positive. You just stay at zero on the number line if you like math. Yeah, I will tell you, and for me, the what the risk does for me, I, it, the adrenaline... I feel so alive when I'm trying mm-hmm. something that I'm out of my comfort zone. Right. I feel so like, uh, I guess alive is the right word because they're invulnerable. Yeah. All that stuff I think is so good. And I learn more from failure. Learn more. Oh, yeah, you do. Than you success. Do, you definitely do. I learn more. Oh, my gosh. Totally. Oh, my gosh. You totally learn so much more. It's amazing to me yeah. that how long you've been working mm-hmm. how long you've been in the business how yeah. many different things that you've done yeah has there ever was there ever a thought where you're like i'm this is i can't do this anymore 
No, because I get to do all my other stuff too. I mean, I you know I've written I, ten books, and you know I just turned my tenth book in. I'm like so involved oh, with so amazing. many things. So I, and I love my radio show. I, I you know I, I was telling you I just you know love to do that, and it's just you know it's just all the different stuff abroad. I'm, we're waiting for a theater to do a Broadway show that I'm involved with, and I'm doing these ten movies for Hallmark. Yeah. Well, nine, nine. Uh, the tenth <laughs> one is being written in a book first, but uh, that's you know, amazing. Yeah, but I mean I just I love doing it all and I love you know the plate spinning and everything else I think actually into this is the one thing I would say that I think is better about being in the business right now uh-huh um not too long ago if you were a TV star you did TV right that's it that was movie it. star movie comedian comedy writer writer and now you have the People give are saying, okay, you want to do something else? Oh, and, yeah. It's, and it's okay to do that. It's a more European way of working. You know, you meet somebody like a Michael Caine. I got to work with him. And they, you know, all those European actors, they do all kinds of things. I mean, early, it was unheard of for John Travolta to go from Welcome Back, Cotter to Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. You know what I mean? To, like, all of a sudden become a movie star from that. And he and I, my first season of Taxi, because we had the same manager, as I said before, we were both, off, it took him a long time. He turned down hosting Saturday Night Live so many times because we had a manager who felt like, no, 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 you you know, you, you can do Cotter, but you can't do really? yeah, Saturday Night Live. I was offered Saturday Night Live to hosting it several times. And he made me turn it down. Really? Oh, my God. That's my biggest regret. That is my biggest regret. Who, what I didn't what, get to what, do what cast are we talking about? Uh, you know, one of the earlier casts, like in seven, like uh, 80, like that. Amazing. Know. That would be the one thing that I you... I know. That would have been so much fun. I... I it, n- Travolta to me is such an has had such an amazingly interesting career mm-hmm. and such very drastic ebb and flows. Yes. Yeah. Right to, to go from where he was right to not obscurity, that's not the right word, to uh, middle ground then to pulp fiction and yeah. then to explode again. Right. And I, this is what I think about Johnny. Okay. He is from like we we bonded right away when we did Grease together because not only had I done the show before, so he's a real re- research kind of person mm-hmm. and he likes to know stuff. And so he asked me a lot of questions about the original, you know, what was the original Grease like before it went to Broadway. And so uh, did it change? Oh yeah. Oh, it was seventy five percent. When when Jim Jacobs called me, I was a senior in high school, and he said, "I've written the show. It may never get off the ground. Uh, we're going to perform it in a converted trolley barn in New York, in uh, Chicago." What? And I went to the first rehearsal, and there was a stack of papers about nine inches tall, two stacks of papers. This was the music and passed it out, and this these were all the scenes. So there was, like, the book report scene, the polio shot scene, the lunchroom scene, the pajama party scene, the penny pitching scene, the rumble scene, the, you know, uh, uh, air raid shelter scene. I mean, like, all these crazy high school scenes. Air raid The bum shelter. scene. You know, like like air raid drill. Right, air raid right, drill right, yeah. scene. And so, you know, there were all these different scenes. And it's like, okay. And we did it like a workshop and find, it became Grease. It was 75% book, 25% music. And when it went to Broadway, Tom Moore brilliantly worked with Jim and figured out it should be more 75% music and 25% book. Were there any scenes in the original that got left out that you were like, "No, that was a good one." I thought I thought the the uh, the scene where the guys are like pitching pennies, yeah, uh, was really funny, and it was like a 
uh, you know, it was like the, um, they called it the bum scene because a guy comes out and, you know, these are high school boys and they're supposed to, uh, they want liquor. So they talk the guy into going in and getting beer, wine, potato chips. Beer, wine, <laughs> potato chips. It was very funny. They did a big revival of it and they did the original Chicago. Really? In Chicago. Yeah, they did a big revival. Oh, just for like three weeks. Yeah. And so a bunch of us went to see it and it was really great to see the old material. But I, they did a great job fixing it for Broadway. Yeah. I, I could watch Grease. Yeah. Anytime it's on. It's one of those few movies. But did you ever see the play? Because the play is so different. I never saw the play. Oh, well, the play is more of an ensemble piece. Really? Oh, my gosh. Everybody has a song. It's The, the play is great. I mean, it, the, the play original. is not driven by Danny and Sandy? No. not Well, it is. I mean, they're like the two leads. Right. But everybody else has big moments. That's very ama- different. I, I, I will tell you, like, for me, watching Travolta in Greece. Yeah, he was great. Is about as close to his wheelhouse yeah oh, yeah for right sure. it, yeah. it seems like because the character interestingly enough mm-hmm. is acting tough but has yeah. a soft heart yeah which seems like what he, he is like it for seems sure. him no totally well you asked me before about you know why okay so i started to tell you that he's from a big family yeah. and the reason another reason we bonded is i have three sisters and he has three sisters i have two brothers he has two brothers mm-hmm. his sold his father sold tires my father sold cars his mom taught drama in the neighborhood my mother taught dancing right so we had a lot in common well johnny was the youngest of six kids and he was the surprise baby i mean his mother couldn't believe that you know <laughs> she was like he was she was 42 or 43 when he was born and he was the surprise baby and what i was saying before about you know you know your car you know you know how you're you know what are you used to he loves being a surprise he loves being a surprise he was a surprise when he did you know tony monero he was a surprise when he did pulp fiction yeah and i think this uh the oj simpson thing is probably going to be a big surprise he's he loves being a surprise so i think that's what happened you so you think in his dna the going away and coming back is part of his who am I? Yeah, I think so. You know, That's very interesting. But I, I'm always looking at everything psychologically anyway because I think there's all kinds of connections there with people that you know, maybe other people don't track or don't want to track and stuff. But I always think there's reasons well, and explanations. I would agree with that. I I think there's so much about the brain that we don't oh know. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Right, and so... About, and about our own, you know, uh, you know, our own subconscious mind. The, the unconscious mind knows everything. Yes. You know, and it's making us behave in certain ways. But I, I, and I know this is probably, and I don't know anything, and I'm not a doctor, but I think the unconscious mind is the mind, mm-hmm. right? It's just whatever, what's the percentage we don't use? Well, they're now proving that we don't, you know, it's, they, they're saying 90% that we don't use and that we only use 10%, but it's... That's amazing. Yeah, it's a lot. So that's what I mean. Like, I think that unconscious mind that we're talking about... That's part of your brain. Mm-hmm. It's just the part that we yeah. haven't unlocked. Well, that's what I mean. That's why I'm saying, I always say that everything you've ever been through yeah. is on your emotional hard drive, and it makes you behave in certain ways even if you're not aware of it. You know, you might have like a visceral reaction to something and think like, well, where did that come from? You know, but it's it's locked in there from something, from some memories, from whatever. It's really amazing be, because there are times like... Um, where something and I'll something like a song, yes, or that memory of my dad saying "I love you," mm-hmm. that can just that's tr- adrenaline. No adrenaline, and you know it's the highs and the lows, like like something you know you respond to it, yeah. D- d- but the with your memory, does are you constantly flooded with that? 
Well, yes, but it's, you know, I still can use judgment about which ones I want to, like, take the path with, you know, take the walk with. It's interesting because, you know, my, my sister-in-law is very intuitive mm-hmm. and very in tune with things that some people would say don't exist. Mm-hmm. Spirits, energy, yeah. all that stuff. Right. right. Where do you fall on that I, stuff? Well, I think everything has an energy to it. I think it does. I think it's. I agree with you that know, too. Numbers, letters, colors, people. You know, there's all kinds of yeah, energy out there. You know, we, I would substitute anytime anyone says God or religion to me. If you substituted energy mm-hmm. for me, that's what yeah. I feel. Yeah. Like I feel like that's what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's not a long-haired, bearded guy. Yeah, yeah, to me, like you have. I don't know if when we pass. What happens to our Have you ever seen energy? somebody die? Yes. I've been in the room three times when people have died. <sighs> Only one time for me. It was like... It's it... amazing, though, because something goes out of that body. Yeah? It's like there's a shell after that spirit goes, whatever you want to call it. That was There's the... an energy. That's what struck me as... Yeah. Because when the... <sighs> yeah. Everything changed. Everything I changed. was like... it. I, I've never heard anyone explain it, that like the mm-hmm. shell, but that's yeah. what it was. Even when she was sick, 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 you could still feel life. Right, right. But as soon as the... Yeah. You could feel no Gone. life. Yeah. What Gone. an interesting yeah. way to put that. Mm-hmm. It would, That was is something that I I think I buried. Um, was it your mom? No, no. It was my wife's mom. Oh. It was, it was just a tough time for them, and mm-hmm. they... I don't know if I can share that. Okay, well, um, it was it's your just, show. You make the decision. Yeah, they wanted. <laughs> they just wanted me in the room. Yeah, and um, they were not. It was a difficult time for them. Right, I believe they just wanted me to. You know, my wife wanted me to tell her my mother-in-law before she passed not to worry that I was going to take care of her. Right, that was important. Yeah, she was like, "Will you tell her, please?" I know mm-hmm. she's not conscious, and I not, but please let Here's her know. Here's the last to go, so yeah. Right, so, and you know, that happened with my grandfather, you know, my cousin, my grandfather was at the house, and we were just waiting for him to pass, and my cousin went in and told right. him, it's okay, you don't yeah. have to hang on for us. Right. We're going to be okay. And he died like two minutes later. Yeah. And so, but to watch that, such a sweet, beautiful woman, mm-hmm. uh, but that is such an interesting, uh, you could tell yeah. when you could it. tell. You could tell. Yeah. It, it, so, I've, seen, so, I've seen three people die. My, my my mother, my father, my mother, and my uncle. You were in so, the room for all of them? All of them. Mm-hmm. And you yeah, can feel moment, it happen. You can feel it happen. You know that person's not there anymore. And so, Whatever that person is, yeah. What's your theory on what happens to that energy? You said soul. I think, I, uh, we you know, whatever you want yeah, to call yeah. yeah, energy, soul. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I think energy, you know, gets recreated someplace else, whether it's like a spirit that lives on in us or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to get... Right. Know, well, I, the reason I brought it up is because my sister-in-law spiritual. is intuitive, right? Mm-hmm. But she would say the same thing you said. Like, mm-hmm. for some people, it's too much for them. But yeah. she just chooses not to hear it sometimes. Right. And so yeah. that's kind of the same way you filter it through. Mm-hmm. I think so. I mean, yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, uh, it's it's so funny. Because the psychic told me... Um, you know, she said, oh, well, I, I you know, I, I see your parents and I, you know, I, you know, your parents. And I said, really? And she says, yeah. And I, uh, you know, your, your mother, she's already moved on to another family. She said, <laughs> <laughs> she's already moved on to another family. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, and what about my dad? And she said, uh, look in the eyes of May 12th. And that's my son's birthday who looks exactly like my dad. 
and she didn't know that. Wow. She said, look in the eye. And he looks so much like my father. That's something. Yeah, I, like. I am a believer. I think, I don't believe everybody can do it. And I don't mm-hmm. believe everybody who's getting paid to do it. But I just refuse to believe that all the... I, I believe, that this is it. Well, I believe <laughs> eventually all the energy goes away. Whenever your business is finished. Right. But I feel like some energy has unfinished business. Yeah. And maybe that for your father, maybe that business is for him to let you know that he's there. Right. Maybe, yeah, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Yeah. So whatever it is. So I do believe that. Yeah. But, you know, some of it, I, I sometimes, it's interesting. If you were gone in and had someone, a psychic, talk to you and, right? Yeah, it's like, sometimes it's great. I mean, I've had psychic Me predictions too. that are crazy, crazy unbelievable. Like, ridiculous like what yeah you know and then other some are like, who are like come I, I, on. I see a tim no yeah jim no kim no <laughs> ben no let's can you stop <laughs> none of those people i don't know any of those are we, people I, I just want to know are we okay for time and yes. everything else okay because right. i've got like a couple of funny well we tell me tell me tell me yeah okay um well first of all there was a psychic that my, I had gotten a divorce recently, and you know this was in two thousand one. And I, a friend of mine, said, "I'm, you know, you should go I'm, for your birthday. I'm giving you a psychic reading." I went, "Oh, okay." So in two thousand two, and so she gave me the psychic reading, and the psychic and I was dating different people. You know, you're in your sweepstakes period, not really, you know, settling on, not really being with someone, but um, people are fixing you up or yeah. you're dating, whatever. And uh, so the psychic kept saying, "No, there's going to be an M that comes in your life. There's an." M this person is going to be everything to you every, every single thing you've ever wanted spiritually emotionally physically you know everything uh, psychologically and and uh and I'd say well what about this person I'd say, no 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 not that person you could date them for a while but this M is coming and I said M he said it's a it's a Mark or a Michael or a Matthew uh, and he's going to be within, you know, he, around the same age. He's going to have uh, children, but they're older. He's going to be a great stepfather to your kids. And I said, do I know this guy? <laughs> and he, she said, uh, he said, uh, if you do, you've never been with him this way before. Okay. So now I'm thinking like, okay, this M, you know, so like people are just like, oh, I'd love to fix you up. I said, what's the name? Is there an M anywhere? You know? so, <laughs> so I dated a couple M's, and then all of a sudden, when my current husband, Michael, who I knew at the University of Chicago, he's my roommate's boyfriend, mm-hmm. he called me out of nowhere. We're the same age. When he, I heard his voice on on my answer, you know, on my uh, voicemail, I went, "Oh my God, it's the M." Now he and I got together 13 years ago. It's almost 13 years ago. Within a week. We, we were saying, I love you. We're going to spend the rest of our lives together. It's everything that the psychic said it would be. And two months into our relationship, he was diagnosed with two cancers, bladder cancer and lung cancer. And I said, failure is not an option. I didn't connect with the love of my life to lose him now. Right. So I took him to my doctors all over the country, you know, a combination of integrative medicine and everything. And total, total detox. He didn't do chemo. He didn't do radiation. He didn't do some of the surgeries that people were recommending. It's crazy after a month that he bought into that, what you were saying. I know. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, Totally. And I wasn't sure that he would. So I took him. The book opens. It's the book that's coming out April 26th. It's called Changing Normal, yeah. How I Helped My Husband Beat Cancer. And the first uh, introduction chapter is called This Is Your Lucky Day. Because I said, okay, I want to take you to my doctors, but we should go see what the typical doctors would be saying about yeah. your situation. So we went to see the number one black cancer guy in the country 
and he happened to be in L.A. We go to the place, and the the, uh, the his assistant recognizes me from taxi. And at that point, it's like, oh, this is so cool. You know, I'm so glad because when you're trying to save a life, you want all yeah, the help yeah. you get. So he goes to Michael, this is your lucky day. I said, really? He said, yeah. I, we have a cancellation on Wednesday. The doctor says, he, the doctor comes out and he says, I doesn't even look at Michael's things or kind of glances at him. He goes, yeah, we have a cancellation on Wednesday. This is your lucky day. He said, uh, I'm going to go in. I'm going to take out the bladder. I'm going to take out the prostate too. Uh, I'm really good at making a neobladder. So I'm going to pull down a piece of Wait, your he hasn't looked at him yet? He hasn't examined him. He's just looked at the record of the bladder cancer. And he said, I'm going to go in, I'm going to make a neobladder, pulling down a piece of your intestines. I'm going to put it behind your belly button because uh, that's what you do. You drain it out and everything else. Um, you're going to avoid a colostomy bag. And he said, um, oh, and he looks at me and he goes, oh, and don't worry if you two want to have sex because I'm going to run a small hose up his penis and you just pump it up six times. Stop You want to have sex. And I said, well, can we have the seven pump model? <laughs> I said, because we're a sexy couple. I said, and what about... Health, nutrition, anything he should eat. And he said, no, go have all the steak and highballs you want. We said, okay, bye. We'll let you know about Wednesday. What was he thinking, your husband, when he walked out? He, for, he you know, I, I just wrote about this. This is the opening chapter yeah. of the book. We got to the car and he looked at me. He said, I'm not losing my organs. I'm not losing my bladder, my prostate. And I said, okay, we're going to find another way. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And so then the book is our whole journey of what he did. And he's been in remission over 12 years now. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, did you ever tell that doctor that he's in remission and that he didn't need to lose his prostate? Yes. And what did the, and he what was the doctor like, say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. It'll probably be. This was after Michael had already been five years in. He said, we'll see if that cancer doesn't come back. And sure enough, it hasn't. I mean, 12 years. It's amazing. He changed his normal. Is that, and by the way, the podcast called Fairly Normal, everybody. I know. Um, everything's connected to everything. Is he, was that more just what he's putting in his mouth? It was everything. It was, uh, Michael had grown up in Utah, mm -hmm. and they were the kinds of kids that were told to stay in the house when the this you know the airplane spraying the crap they'd follow them etc you know like the kids would go there uh he there was a lot of nuclear testing in his area yeah. he also worked as a merchant seaman after the university of chicago because we knew each other in college uh he worked you as a, knew each other in college he was my roommate's boyfriend but i'd never dated him i took her on that well-worn path to billings hospital to get birth control pills so she could lose her virginity to him did you were you did you ever look at him like that's a sexy dude or was I, it not a when i met him he literally took my breath away but i didn't dare twinkle in his direction because i so respected their relationship i adored her and i was also very overweight at the time and thought oh god if i lose the weight are there any more like him on campus when you so say you were very over 54 pounds heavier than i am right now that's a big difference 54 pounds heavier and that's why i know what i'm talking about when it comes to food because once i lost it i lost it forever 54 pounds mm -hmm. how long did it take you no because it was like up and down and then it was like really committed to being healthy because i could like swing my weight in all kinds of directions yeah that's amazing no learn to love the food that loves you yeah it really makes a big difference and people who who start really eating where they're not acting out against their body you know what i call taking out their little toy box to play with it all the time you end up you know your body adjusts and you you feel better you just feel better so yeah. he beat cancer with purely food? no he, not just purely food. but eastern medicine 
More uh, a lot of more Eastern. He did some immunotherapy, mm-hmm. but he mainly did like everything from you know supplements to taking Iskador to, uh, you know, uh, do you know what a rebounder is? A rebounder is a mini trampoline, uh-huh. and you just do low impact for two minutes, and for the next hour it triples your white blood cell count, and so it's like one of the best what? things. It's one of the best things for energy, and it's, it stimulates your lymphatic system. Wait, jumping up and down does? It's like it's like low impact on a rebounder, which is a, like a mini trampoline. Do you know? Have you ever seen that um, exercise thing where you kind of hold onto it and it shakes like mm-hmm. that? Is yeah. that the same it's concept? Sim- well, it's a little different, but yeah, yeah. But it's you know, it's like anything that shakes up the orange juice when you think about it. I mean, when you think about it, we're like so many, so much fluid in our bodies, and people don't hydrate enough, and they don't. You know. Well, we have one of those little shakers. I've just never stepped on it. Yeah. Is it worth stepping on? Um, you know, whatever. <laughs> we don't have that. But we do have an infrared sauna because fat is the poison carrier, and it gets in there on a cellular level. How and often cleans do you, you do out. it? Uh, you know, twice or three times a week. Michael does it more often, you know, for 20 minutes. We just got one, too. It's so great. But, uh, it's great. My wife had some mercury problems. Yeah, yeah. And the doctor was like, you need to, you, listen, you need mm-hmm. to get one of these. You need to sweat it out. Yeah. You Did you do the captomere and you pee in a, to a she, thing and you do the reading? Yeah. 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 But she, her mercury levels were through the roof. What were they? I. Okay. You don't want to tell. Okay. I know. I don't. Not that I want no. to tell. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. But I know that she was like, we were having really serious, she was having serious health issues that we yeah. couldn't quite figure out. Too much sushi or just whatever? Teeth. Teeth. Yeah. Oh, he, he did that. Michael got rid of all. The fillings in his teeth that were mercury fillings and replace them. Um, I think that, you know, people, are, I'm always like a few years ahead of what people are talking yeah. about. And so, um, or what seems to be mainstream, because I've been talking about this stuff for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I always say that the next frontier is going to be your teeth. Because when you think about it, each tooth connects with a different organ. So you can tell from somebody's tooth being off, like what organ might be being distressed. I, what do you think? That I've, and I know you're, Vegan, so that yeah. Ask once you, in a while, I'll have fish. So what yeah. do you what do you hear about bone broth? <laughs> no, whatever. I don't know. I just you heard know? somebody told me that it's so good for you. No, mm-hmm. huh? It depends. You know, I mean, can you do it every day? Can you? I, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's there's other ways to get to get some all of that. your calcium and and everything else. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I will. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm listen. I'm a, here's the thing. I've never tried it, and I, I across the board, I'm always. Trying different things. Yeah. yeah not why to, not? It, it, just in my life. Like, my brothers always knew I was the, I was the guy to be like, hey, I, I want to see what happens if that happens. Go, yeah. J- Josh, go do this. Oh, yeah. And I was yeah. always like, I would jump off anything or run into yeah. something or yeah. eat whatever. They're like, is this going to be too hot? I don't know. Have him try it. Like, <laughs> Let's I, give it to Mikey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is exactly for how sure. it broke down for me. Yeah. I, when you, okay, when a show like Taxi ends. Mm-hmm. Or evening shade. Right. I've asked this to people before. Is there a fear that sets in? Because my, you know, the mentality in our—it's such a feast. For oh yeah, business. like what's the, what's my next job? Yeah. Um, first of all, I think you've got to get if if you want to have a long kind of career and you want to be a happy person, I think you have to get rid of that victim mentality. And I think that. If you're always waiting for somebody to give you permission to work or to do something, there's going to be a big problem, especially with the way our business is organized. Mm -hmm. I think what you have to do is what I call creating a vacuum and then filling it. You find out what else you want to do and what else you can do and then fill it. Uh, Taxi, I already knew I was going to be 
you know, I finished Taxi on Monday and, and, and was, you know, starting The Man Who Loved Women with Burt Reynolds and Blake Edwards, like, the following week. So, you know, and then started working like crazy in the movies. Um, and, and after Evening Shade, I was, uh, <laughs> I was so pregnant with my son when Evening Shade ended. I gave birth to him the following week, and three weeks later I did my pilots for a, te- for a talk show that I was doing, and I had a tele- two television movies lined up. So, you know, I knew that I was always working. So I, I always feel like if something doesn't work out, you have to do it. Right. You know, you have to create that vacuum and then fill it. So you figure out what else. I, it was, I, I guess because of the way I grew up with the dancing school. I was going to say. Shop, yeah, it's in it's my car. It's in my DNA to create other things for myself. Is that where I, the work ethic came from, you think? Yeah, I think a Midwest, is, yeah. Midwest, that good Midwest Polish Greek stock that I come <laughs> from. You know, my parents worked hard; they loved what they did, and you know, my parents both in education. Um, so I don't know how happy they are that I got into this. Oh, really? Li- yeah. I, they weren't. But you get to be smart. They were very supportive. Yeah. My parents were always very supportive. I, I shouldn't. I, that's, that's a, a bad way to paint them. They were always incredibly supportive about. I just don't think that they understood. My mom never understood because she mm-hmm. what she wants from me what what she wants most for me is stability. Right. There's a you know I would say my goal is uh, and I think this has changed through the generations. Stability used to be the goal. Yes. Right. Yeah. Stable. But there was a road to stability. It was like a game board of life. Yes. And you start here and then this progresses yes. to this this those rules are out the window. No, for me I go happiness. Mm-hmm. Right. I always go. Well, is this gonna make yeah, me ha- happy? Yeah, but happiness is is for ten minutes. I mean, happiness is ephemeral. I do, I, I disagree. Okay. Right. For me, I uh, I what what's gonna make me happy? And if something makes me happy, it really uh, I want that to last. Right. Yeah. So it pushes me to work harder and harder right. and harder and harder. That's why I. You know, I feel blessed that I'm doing something that, that, I, that makes you happy. And yes. that you love. But but were you the kind of parent who was just like, oh, kids, if you don't want to educate yourself, if you don't want to do this, if it makes you happy, no. then just go. Okay, thank you. No, I was never that. Yeah, okay, good. Because, you know, my there was talk about my youngest son not going to college. And I was mm-hmm. like, listen, you can decide to do what you want to do after you go to college, but forget the education. It's a great experience. 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 It gives you life experience. It's socialization. It's a different socialization. Socialization, and also it's the only time you might be exposed to certain things that you would never do in a million years, in terms of you know certain classes or whatever. And you know, I, I went to University of Chicago, as I said, I was a political science major because there was no theater department, but I had all these theater contacts, and I was yeah. doing Greece and everything else in Chicago and teaching dancing on the weekends. And so, yeah, dancing. Like my Chicago accent really slips in there <laughs> when I talk about Chicago. But but two of my Favorite classes that were kind of just, you know, a science and a a, a requirement. I I took genetics and I never would have taken genetics as a choice, but it was, you know, one of the science classes offered for uh, the core curriculum. And I learned so much about it was one of my favorite classes and an economics class. You know, so you you do things you're exposed to things that maybe you never would have had before. A hundred percent. And you're exposed to like. Whatever your neighborhood was, yes. that's your view of the world. Yeah, that starts, oh, well, all the original people grew up in my neighborhood because my brother, who's, that you replaced today, my yeah. brother Lauren, because he's in Europe, he's usually my co-host. And we always say, doesn't so-and-so look like 
so-and-so and so-and-so, you know, and it's like we always think the original people grew up in Logan Square with us because <laughs> everybody looks like somebody from Logan Square. But that's the thing is that that's your, na that's your world. Yeah. What college does is it shows you, oh, oh shit, there's like... A big world out yeah, there. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of other people. And that first roommate you get, mm -hmm. uh, my, can I tell you the, mo okay, my, one of my roommates had the single most disgusting habit in the history of habits. Uh-oh. Uh, it was, okay. The single grossest thing, like, but I was like, oh, I'm going to have to live with this guy. He and I had to. Boogish, did he? Almost as bad. Oh. Okay, so we're sitting there and he's flossing his teeth. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, we're getting a little hygiene. We're good. But do you know he would lick the food off of the floss? That's how he cleaned it. And then he threw the floss away. So I would go, why in the fucking world are you licking the floss? That is gross. And he said it was already in my mouth. I go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, gross. But it teaches you how, and like we talked yeah. about before, I had to deal with that. He would fly, you know, I had to figure out a way uh -huh. to deal with it. To deal with this gross motherfucker eating Does his he ever blood. call you? Does he ever call into the show? He does not. He's, uh, he and I, you know, I made a decision a couple years ago. That I was no longer going to chase relationships. Yeah, no. After all, friend maintenance—it's you're either good at it and you keep up, or the other. And if the other person doesn't, then that's the way it is. Can't chase a relationship. No. And my number is three, sometimes four, which is I'm gonna reach out to you three times. Uh huh. Now, look, we are all busy. Sometimes you get a text and you go, oh, okay, I got to respond to that. Right. And then you get forty other texts, and then it's pushed down. Right. Same with an email, and you lose it. Right. I'll give you three of those. Yeah. By the fourth, there's no fourth. And right. then it's done. And because what that tells me is, look, we all have... Busy lives. Yes. But we also all have that person that we don't respond to right away. Right. Right? Yeah. I'm not going to be that person. Yeah. Either we're friends or we're not. Right. Right? So my, unfortunately, the I think the two guys that I was most, that I was definitely closest to in college, they both fell in. I just was like, I'm not chasing this anymore. Yeah. But by the way, it was... A very, f I had no idea how much that weighed on my brain. Mm. It really, you mean chasing them? Yeah, when and I and then got, once you stopped, it, that it was, was like that I, was it. Yeah, yeah, it was such a yeah. relief where I had no idea that it was just like taking up so much whatever energy in my head right. that I was like I can't. And when I freed it up, I was like oh. Right. And you know what other decision I made with friends? There was one friend who I is one of the funniest people I know, mm -hmm. hands down. Such a good time to be around. But he and I would constantly get in verbal fights. And it was because, like, I would say, hey, be here, and he wouldn't show up. Or, can you babysit, and he wouldn't show up. Oh. And I was like, what I finally decided was, I have to stop getting mad at him. It's not his it's fault. Not, yeah. At the end of the day, it's my fault. I know who he is. I know who he is. Yeah. I can't get... This is no, who, you can't. and he's not no, going to change you know, for you know me. They say insanity is the doing the same thing yes, over and over yeah. again and expecting different results. Yeah. That's insanity. No, I call that bad memory. That's bad <laughs> memory. And once you own yeah. that, that's yeah. But I was like, and and so when I I did that with a bunch of my friends, where I was like, I'm going to accept him for who he is, uh -huh. accept her for who he is, right. who she is. I'm no longer going to put them in the position of to disappoint me. Yeah. Because you you know you you just know. But it yeah. made it so much better. Our relationships are all so much better now because we I don't I don't put them in a position 
to get us in a fight. Right. I know their weaknesses and their strengths, and yeah. I just don't. I, I always think of it as, you know, maybe because I love to cook. And so I think of it, okay, are you going to have, you know, this person might, you might get a saucer's worth, but you're going to have a great saucer. Or you're going to have like a salad plate or a side dish or whatever. And that's the size of the meal you can yeah. like experience with them. And then there's the people where you get like a whole platter full, you know, but I'm not going to expect a platter full with someone who can only give me a B and B plate. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you make a job. Yeah. <laughs> I do adjustments. Yeah. Um, we have we're at two hours. Oh, okay. So, uh, so I'm gonna have to go. Tell me something. Yes. Do you want to plug something? Do I want to plug something? Well, I want to plug my radio show, mm -hmm, which, which I was is, on today. It was okay. beautiful. Thank you so much, the Mary Lou Henner show. Yep. And it's on. You know, check local listings because we're all over the country. We have a bunch of stations, and we just keep growing every week. And I love it. And I have so many great guests. I've had everyone from. Burt Reynolds, you know, I had Hall and Oates, uh, Graham Nash, Kenny Loggins. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, if, uh, um, yeah, Rob Zombie is on this week. Yeah. I mean, and they come to the house. I mean, I come to, you know, the studio, I should say, the studio. <laughs> and uh, it's great. I'm just so excited about it. My book will be out April the 26th, so I'm coming back before that. Yeah, come it's back. Called, uh, yeah, it's called uh, Changing Normal, How I Helped My Husband Beat Cancer. It's and, kind of uh, amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a love story. You are a... Uh, a fascinating person to talk to. Thank I you. here's the thing. But you're when I said that you, your brain like is alive, uh you can just see it in your eyes that it's always you're always working. Oh, things it's are going. Al it's always something's always going. Yeah. Thank it's you. it's it's um I hope that's good. It yeah. is. It's yeah. actually for me it's inspirational uh -huh. because yeah, because I I aspire to you know when you say I don't it seems indulgent. I aspire to to not let myself like you always. Well, you firing. mean watching television? Yeah, but you're always well. firing. You're always things yeah. are always. You're always seems like you're always creating and thinking, and it's inspirational to watch. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. When I was at eighth grade, Sister Paula Marie's third grade class, there was a test, and it said uh, how many pencils are in a score, right? And I thought. How many pencils are in a score? I don't know what a score is. It was a math test, right? Or it was a, you know one of those standardized tests. And I thought, how many pencils in a score? Where have I heard this before? And I was like, oh yeah, four score and seven years ago. Okay, so four score and seven years ago it was you know Abraham Lincoln talking about the you know the revolution and blah 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 blah. blah. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, twenty pencils are in a score. And I put my pencil down and it was like the Hallelujah chorus came up, the heavens parted, and I thought everything is connected to everything. Everything is connected to everything. Things in math are connected to history, are connected to religion, are connected to spelling, are connected to, you know, and I just stopped seeing the world in individual ways. And it's just like everything sort of came together for me in that moment. And I just realized that every single thing I ever learned would connect with other things and nothing was wasted. And it was all you know, it's like amazing. this incredible thing. And so ever since then, I, you know, it's like we've tied in so many things today. Yeah. And it's just been great spending this whole day with you. I know. We have. Cool this is our that? first day together. I know. Um, guys, I'm going to be in Boston this weekend. Tickets, I believe, are close to sold out uh -oh. already. But um going to have some very special uh, Boston sports personality guests there this weekend who are coming by to have a good time. Um, ComedianJoshWolf.com for other dates. Obviously, oh, I just have something else. Go, 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 go. There's this podcast. There's also the podcast I do with my son called Boomer and the Old Man, um, which is a 30 minute podcast. It's super fun. Um, and um, what else, guys? Fingers crossed for some shit that I got going on. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we have a different idea of the jinx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you don't tell anything. I don't I, say anything. Yeah, I, 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 almost every job I ever had, I said, "Oh, I have this." You know, well, I then put it I, out there. I want the audition that I, I, <laughs> I auditioned for Schneider from One Day at a Time. They're remaking it, and so you don't laugh. Have you gotten better. feedback yet? And did you feel like you did a good job? You know, it was interesting. I walked in there with a friend of mine, a guy named Bobby Lee, mm-hmm. and he's a short little Asian dude. Mm-hmm. And I go, what are you reading for? He goes, Schneider. Oh, and I yeah, was like, so they might be going a different way. Then you can't. Well, you know. I said to him, I go, so you and I are reading for the same role. Yeah. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, one of us is in the wrong place. Yeah. But they said, this was the best thing. I walked in. I said, so Bobby Lee's out there. And she said, yeah, funny, funny, funny wins here today. Doesn't matter. Yeah. And I said, doesn't matter that I'm like 10 times better looking than him. Uh, and she said, no, not at all. More PF. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the PF level just raised in here. What's up? I got to tell you a funny, yeah. fast, fast, go. funny casting story. I go in an audition, and they say to me, the director goes, oh, my God, you are the living embodiment of this character. He said, the character I wrote, it's like jumped off the page, and it's you. The right, you know, she's a redhead. She's sassy. She's got that, like, you know, Midwest thing. But I could tell you, you know, you've got, like, that street smarts mm-hmm. and use your brain. And he said... You know, uh, I I have an off. We have an offer out to another actress, but if she doesn't do it, I'm gonna slam dunk you in there. It's just you're you're the girl. I said, oh, yeah, great, thank you. Um, who's the other actress? Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> And she ended up doing it. And it's a little movie called Ghost. No, no. it's a little movie called Fatal Beauty, where she played a sassy cop who goes undercover as a hooker, and uh, this whole thing. What a different Fatal... movie it would have been. Totally. Di- I mean, but, but you know, so you just never know. There, there might be some other agenda. There might be a quota. There might be somebody owes a favor. You never know. That's why you cannot let your ego get so attached to something, and then you get like burned by it. You know, Plan B. It's the key to your life, how well you deal with Plan B. Yeah. That's so, what happens. Sometimes. But, oh, I do want to yeah. say, before I forget, uh, I'm on Dr. Oz tomorrow. So oh, yeah. check that out. Yeah, the 26th. That'll be, so by, oh. when this gets downloaded, it'll be today. Oh, okay. Today. I'm 26. on Dr. Oz today. I have to tell you, um, I think this is the longest podcast Uh-oh. we've ever done. It's really? totally okay. This is the longest one we've done, just because I could, isn't it? I mean, is Bert it? was like close. Oh, so, but this is because uh, you're a fascinating person. <laughs> thank you. Well, I hope we get to do this again. I hope so, too. Guys, thank you. Thank and you. I know I didn't get to every question, um, but thank you for listening to Fairly Normal, and um, we'll see you next week. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>